You are about to opt in to Monerotopia, a show for the Monero community where all are welcome to join. From noob to maxi, no matter what bags you hold. Just sit back and relax to the sweet sounds of Monero's latest progress. Or if you're feeling inspired, join us on stage. Remember, the only thing that can stop Monero is a false belief that it can be stopped. And if you want to win the revolution faster, we recommend you remove your XMR from all custodial exchanges immediately. Warning, boating accidents are common around here. Don't forget to properly secure your private keys. Monerotopia starts now. Okay. All righty. How's it going? <laughs> Good morning. Rush as usual. Oh God. Cheers. Cheerios. How's everyone doing? It's good. Good. I'm doing well. Are you doing Slept well? Slept pretty well. I did too. You passed out. A little sneezy this morning. I don't know what that's all about. I don't know. So uh, let's, let's let's get moving here. We yeah, got let's... we got very special guests. We got Howard Chu with us today, uh, creator or one of the creators of Random X. We'll we'll get into that. It's Random X's birthday, I think, as of two days ago. Uh, so it's three. Random X is three years old. We'll, we'll get into all to in all the details on random on Random X. But first, we want to, I guess, do some housekeeping. Yes. What, what, what are the updates? What do we got? <sighs> We got new guests, um, new guests, new speakers at the Monerotopia 23 conference. So do you want to go over the new ones that we just added? Yeah, let's, let's quickly go through that. Any, everybody in the spaces, you could hear us all right? Just give a, give a thumbs up or something. I know it's a little delayed. Yeah, it's usually like Actually, a good five second delay. Well, it, it is delayed. I mean, the sound should be oh, going pretty instant. Yeah, there you go. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, guys, so we're going to do the show like we normally do now. We're going to go through the whole thing. We're going to do the intro. We're going to have the price report. We're going to have the news. We're going to keep the Tony on StreamYard while we do the news, not like last time. <laughs> then we're going to have Howard come up here. We're going to do the interview. Uh, Howard has Twitter, but he doesn't have the app, so he can't jump in the spaces live. But So we're going to try to stream that through here, too, so you guys could ask questions and Howard can answer them. Hopefully, we could do that without a hitch. I'm sure there'll be some technical issues, but we'll, I'm sure. we'll, we we'll, always, we'll we work are, through it. We're so, known for that. Hang in there. <laughs> but we get us. better every time. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, without further delay. So Monerotopia is, is heating up. So far, we got we got Co. We got Co. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, yeah, we have a code developed Seraphis, Monero contributor and developer. I think we announced that when we, uh, like last week, Luke Parker, uh, lead developer Sarai, um, Andre Sab, I don't want to butcher his last name, Sabelnikov. <laughs> He's a Zano uh, co-founder, um, and core dev. We have, uh, Justin Behrman, uh, who implemented Seraphis and Jatmus, Jamtis. Um, who's also a Monero contributor and developer. And recently we just added Derek Bros. Um, he's the founder of the Cell Network. We had him on Monerotopia a couple of The Freedom Cell Network. Yep. yep. Uh, so that's exciting. We just, uh, added him, uh, like yesterday. And Seth for Privacy, which we all know, um, host of Opt Out Podcast. He'll be a speaker. And last but not least, Mr. Francisco Arctic Mind Cabanas. Who everyone knows is a Monero Core dev, a team member, and uh, XMR scaling expert. So it's pretty exciting. Lots yeah, of yeah, uh, it's, it's and we're talking to a lot. And we of keep others. adding more and more and more. So yeah, 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, last year was one day. This year it's going to be two, maybe we're thinking maybe even two and a half. Uh, so right now we have, <laughs> Three, a, schedule, four. We have a schedule for Saturday and Sunday, Saturday. <laughs> but maybe we, we start on Friday, like evening around five. Like check in. Yeah. People come to check in and maybe we do like one or two, uh, you know, overarching talks on that day to get it, to kick it off. And then we, we go into the, the marathon sessions on Saturday and Sunday. Doug hates. <laughs> uh, talking to Peter Todd. He actually kind of semi agreed. We're just kind of so it's like pending. Yeah, you don't want to come to terms. We'll see. He's we'll that, see if that happens. Cool. Uh, but the, the theme is, you know, pretty straightforward guys like last year. So there's going to be, uh, mostly the talks last year, earlier this year. <laughs> yeah, I think it's last year, right? Uh, mostly the talks are going to be focused on Monero itself. So we have all, you know, a bunch of the, the devs that'll be showing up talking about Monero tech. Uh, but then we're also going to talk about the, you know, the concept of building a Monero parallel economy or circular economy. Uh, that's why we have guys like Derek that are going to be showing up. Uh, Derek, uh, like I said, he's, uh, you know, the, the leader or founder of the freedom cell movement. So he's kind of an expert in, in trying to build out parallel economies. So we'll have him there. Uh, and then we are trying to incorporate some other privacy tech or privacy coin projects. So that's why you see Andre up there. He's from Xano. Um, since we've added him, the price of Xano has been pumping, which is what we're trying to avoid doing, guys. Like this is, this is why we're a little reluctant to, uh, talk about these other projects, but we think it's healthy to do so. Uh, so, you know, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump on, on that bandwagon so fast. Uh, just, you know, the re- we're just bringing these, these projects on just to, to discuss the tech, right? Uh, it's, it's, is, uh, Andre, you know, is, a, is an, uh, crypto note OG. We interviewed him a few years ago. Uh, he claims to be the, you know, the, the guy who basically implemented the first version of the crypto note protocol. So really super interesting, important guy in the space. And he's going to come, come to the conference and talk about the tech. Um, and so we're going to try to do that with a couple of other, you know, privacy coin projects, just get them up there. So maybe we would dedicate like the, I think it like maybe. Sunday morning or something, you know, the first half of Sunday would be dedicated to that. We would, we would bring up a couple of these other, uh, privacy coin projects, let them present. I mean, I don't want this to be like, you know, a really lame, cringy, you know, my coin is better than yours. Your coin is better. It's more of, you know, focusing on the tech. Let's hear what you got. Uh, what are you working on? What can Monero steal from you and implement? You know, I mean, so it's, it's, we want to focus on the tech and focus on these projects and we don't want to, uh, be maxi, right? I mean, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm personally Monero maxified, but we don't want to, um, kind of, you know, inherit that, <laughs> that, that way. Uh, it just, it just leads to, it just leads to a, a closed atmosphere, uh, where, where ideas don't freely flow. Uh, so we're, we're, we're trying to avoid that and we're trying to balance that against not, um, for lack of a better word, pumping, uh, you know, shit coins. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a delicate balance. Uh, and I'm not saying those, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm trying to describe this, right? So it, it is a balance. So we're trying, trying to strike to that balance. Where we could leave this as open 
as as possible to anybody that you know working on interesting projects. I want to come talk about the tech uh, while making sure we we stay focused on Monero, just because uh, not not out of maxi reasons, but out of you know not wanting to to pump projects. You know, people get hurt. We don't want to mislead people. Uh, we see that happening all the time, and I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of that taking place. Uh, so I'm putting that message out there so you guys can try to do the same thing. This is, you know, important. I'm not saying don't go explore other projects, but be careful with what you talk about and with what you pump, um, because, you know, your others are listening to you and, you know, you don't, you don't want to mislead people, right? Uh, we, we, we're, we're all fairly confident that Monero, if anything, if any, if any crypto is going to succeed as true digital cash, Monero is got the the best chance of doing that, and uh, the responsible thing to do is stay focused on that and direct people towards that uh, rather than trying to, you know, uh, point out other other things that that claim to be do, doing better things when they may really just be trying to uh, pump pump their bags for uh, for a quick gain and then you know dump them on top of you. Uh, so I mean, <laughs> and that was the rant. It just, it just has to be said. It has yes, to be no, said. I agree. So we're, we're going to continue to talk about that. Um, any any other announcements for Monero Toby? I guess, oh, I think we raised the price. Yeah. Did it, did it go up? Um, we raised the price. We're, we're raising prices oh. not as, you know, because we want to, uh, you know, glean more money from you. It's that we want to essentially force you to buy your ticket early. So we're trying to use the carrot and the stick approach. So uh, grab the tickets now. Uh, we're going to continue to keep rising the price. Reason why you want you to buy the tickets early, just so that so you know the event has uh, momentum. So jump on that. I think we jumped bumped it up by ten bucks. So it was at sixty nine and went to seventy nine. Yeah. The VIP ticket is at one seventy nine now. Uh, I you know. Well, well worth it. Oh, yeah, it's going to be. We're going to have to like cap it. Well, we said that last week, but it keeps, yeah, people. VIP is going to be super cool because obviously the event itself will be cool because we're going to try to work in some fun stuff where you'll get like, you know, uh, mezcal or something, right? Like we're we're trying to figure that out. We'll figure that out. Um, You know us guys, you know, we we take, (laughs) we figure it out day by day. The cool part will be the, the dinner on Saturday night. All the speakers will, will be there in attendance and it'll be nice spot so. Yeah. so get your tickets today it's gonna be fun i mean why wouldn't you want to go to mexico city it's, in may it's spread the word uh spread the word to you know anybody obviously interested in monero but anybody interested in privacy tech in general any you know get it out there to everybody that knows and uses monero should at least be aware of monerotopia right i feel like the word doesn't really get out there enough when we no. did this in Miami last year, I mean, it was great. We had an amazing, we had a, we had a great turnout, crowd. but I ran into people literally on the street that saw me wearing a Monero t-shirt across from the venue and they were there for Bitcoin conference and they're like, Monero. I was like, Oh, cool. See you tomorrow at the conference. Like, they're what, like, what conference? What conference? I like the Monero Topia conference that we're hosting. They had no idea. So I don't know what we're doing wrong or for being shadow banned or if we just suck that much that we're not capable of, you know, getting the word out there to the Monero community. But if you guys could help us further spread, uh, anybody that's into Monero should know this conference exists, whether or not they choose to attend. Let's at least get the word out and uh, spread it out there to, to other people, too, other privacy projects. Right. So we're, we're trying to, like I said, delicately. <laughs> 
unite everybody, right? I think it's a shame if you have somebody who's, you know, into whatever, uh, pirate chain and like, you know, they, they're, they're into it because they love digital cash and they've been told that that's, you know, digital cash. And yet they're, they're not participating in, you know, the, the Monerotopia event where we're all going to be there talking about, you know, building digital cash. So I'm like, I'm trying to unite people around the digital cash narrative. So anybody that's, that's interested in those concepts, try to get the word out to them. Wow. <laughs> Bam. Bam. <laughs> All right, let's go. All right. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? I guess that's really it. Conference, get your tickets as soon as you can before the price goes up. But, uh, yeah, I guess let's, uh, move on to the price report. If you're ready, Doug, are you ready for the price? I'm ready. You're ready. All right. Let's do this. The Monerotopia price report segment is sponsored by Local Monero. Avoid using KYC exchanges. Buy and sell Monero directly for fiat peer to peer. Oakley Dokley. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going, buddy? Oh, that's great. How are y'all doing? Good, good. good man. Happy Saturday. Thank you for joining Indeed. us again. <laughs> so how's my voice? Is my voice coming in okay? Yep, sounds perfect. Yeah, you're good. Cool. Man. Yeah, my Bluetooth headphones were acting kind of weird, so I have my backup option just in case. Uh, yes, let's jump into it. All right. We've got uh, Monero USD. You know what I really love about this chart right now? These little guys. These wicks right here are just incredible. Um, that's really bullish. When we saw that last year on Bitcoin, it was happening to the downside. Now, if you go into like the one minute time frame, um, you can see that. So, for example, the most recent one, these are like literally 15 seconds of price wick. This one happened from $145 all the way up to $159. So that's about a 10% jump in less than a minute. But if you keep going back, big, big buy orders, like people just pressing the buy button on a big order. Is that why? Yeah. Yeah. I assume that's, that's what that must be. Just someone smashing the market buy order on, uh, I don't know, a few thousand Monero. Uh, this is on Kraken. So, uh, I doubt Binance looks like this, but maybe we can take a look at that. Uh, let's see. The one that happened on the 28th, November 28th went from 134, uh, all the way up to 150. And again, these are one minute candles. So, you know, we could actually go down and you would see this is like a five or 10 second spike. Um, so I guess that's, that's just a delay before the, uh, the arbitrage bots kick in. Um, so kind of with that in mind, we might as well go look at the, um, go look at the price divergences. You can see that Binance has, um, preferred to keep their prices lower below the zero point, uh, which is kind of what we've seen from them regularly. What's funny. So I'm making the volume adjustment, but if we don't make the volume adjustment, you can see that um, Poloniex, for whatever reason, just has decided to diverge almost a whole percent downwards. Um, but the funny thing is that when you make the volume adjustment, again, you multiply by volume, you see that it, they don't really matter, right? They're not doing any volume uh, down at those prices for it to actually make any real difference. Um, so, you know, let's check out um, Binance XMR USD and see if they have the same price spikes. I doubt it. You know, I, uh, I'm kind of cynical on Binance, so I, I kind of think they've probably got some special algorithms to try and make sure that doesn't happen, if at all possible. But yeah, it, it looks here like there's no, I'm not seeing any price spikes on Binance that happened on, uh, on Kraken. So, interesting. Go back. Okay. Um, but otherwise, let's see. Otherwise, we're still kind of, um, we, we've actually gotten out of this channel here. Um, so that's really nice. 
uh, again, it's Monero is, is breaking rising resistance to the upside, which is um, that's almost always a really positive sign. Uh, it happened over here as well. So we if you remember, we kind of had this line drawn last week and then we decided that it was really probably better to draw the line up there. Um, now, I still I am seeing us coming into a little bit of resistance here. So, again, this level right here was pretty significant, the 009 level. Um, the other thing is that you can see that we're kind of in this uh, this rising triangle right here, right? you got your, your lower band. You've got the upper band. Oops, poorly drawn. You know, you've got that line right there. And so, um, you know, with us coming into this resistance at 009, uh, which is just shy of a percent of, uh, of Bitcoin's price, um, it, it wouldn't be surprising for us to have a little bit of trouble right here. Um, so for now, you know, still some mild positive action. I expect this to continue uh, for probably most of December, maybe even into 2023. At some point, we'll probably take a pullback. My guess is that the XMR BTC ratio will probably drop out of this and maybe take some small pullback. And that would probably be concurrent with a broader pump of uh, risk on crypto stocks, uh, a broader pump in general. Because uh, we know, and you know, when the big players, when they like to pump the markets, they typically don't like to select Monero. So we do end up going up, but it's kind of like counter cyclically. You'll get all this money that goes into, I don't know, whatever they want to print the tethers into, uh, whatever they want to pump, you know, all their little scam coins. And then eventually Monero will get that market cap as well as money makes its way um, kind of secondarily into Monero. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, the, the ratio is looking good. We do have some, um, we do have some, uh, resistance coming up here pretty soon, but not yet. It's it's still probably a few weeks away, um, or who knows? Maybe we could just spike up and, and hit it tomorrow. Uh, coming back, I almost I almost forgot. Coming back to um, uh, the Monero USD chart, I just wanted to show you guys the um, uh, sorry the the moving average lines, the SMA lines. I'm trying to turn off. Drawings. There we go. Okay, so these are just like SMA bands. It's just all of them. If you just put them all over, and it looks kind of cool. You can see it's this like um, kind of wavy structure. Um, so, anyways, we're we're basically just kind of hanging out here um, in this band structure. And uh, let's see. Oops. Yeah, we're just kind of hanging out in this band structure right here. Um, and you'll notice that uh, that this cluster of bands has kind of limited price as well, uh, right around. Um, the 160 area. Uh, it's okay. That's that's enough on the Monero price. Um, oh, we've got our. Um, we have the. Uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, the longs and shorts have finally moved into the positive. So we have more longs on Monero than we have shorts. That happened this week. Um, we've also got the XMR dominance. Again, we're we're kind of coming up on some resistance right here on this very large channel that's that's been here for years. That. We'll probably break above that price probably wants to get to this um, back to this level here, whether that happens sooner or later. I don't know, um, but you would expect that this could pose some resistance. And we talked about that last week as well. Uh, so that should be mostly it for Monero. Um, let's go ahead. And I always like to look at the uh, the relative price. There's Monero versus Litecoin. Monero versus Bitcoin Cash is just an amazingly cool chart. Um, Monero versus Stellar, we're continuing to go up uh, versus Zcash, you know, uh, we're taking a little bit of a pullback, uh, recently. Let's go to the daily. Yeah, we kind of, uh, we've kind of just kind of topped out here a little bit. Um, but I mean, we're basically at all time highs versus Zcash. So that's really nice. Uh, let's go ahead and look at, um, all the cryptos next to each other. 
you can see that uh, ADA has been a, a solid performer this week for whatever reason. Uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum have kind of been lackluster. They haven't really done too much. They've been mildly positive, kind of like we talked about last week. The thesis is we're going to be mildly positive probably for most of December, and then we'll get a pullback somewhere at the end of December, maybe mid-January. Um, Monero, you can see Monero is the orange, right? So that would be this line right here. Um, and essentially, we're kind of just riding the top level. Like, we're one of the better performing cryptos this week. Uh, so that's nice. And then you've got our all of the markets. So one thing I can point out to you here, you see where the lines get flat, right, where the Dixie flattens off? That's because the markets get closed for the weekend. You, you'll notice that crypto doesn't flatten off because it you know, trades 24-7. But pretty much everything else, stocks and, and bonds and everything, they close for the weekend. So this was um, last weekend. Uh, and that's why you can see that crypto also has a price here and these others don't yet. So th this is basically we're looking at the entire last week for crypto, uh, for all markets, really. Um, so... The dollar is uh, not really doing anything. You know, it's still kind of low, which is kind of why things are tending to be positive right now. Um, silver and gold put on some gains here this week. Overall, crypto has been kind of flat overall, um, but still mildly positive. Let's look at the uh, the Bitcoin price now. Hang on a second. Okay, there we go. Sorry about that. Um, so this is the Bitcoin price uh, kind of on the long-term view. This is the bear market view. Um, we uh, We took a look at this chart last time as well. Uh, I just like to always have a good idea, you know, when you're when you're looking at a chart, um, you know, where you're sort of get your orientation for where you're coming from. Um, so right now we have essentially broken above. Once again, this 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 line right here uh, is our kind of main bear market resistance line. And uh, we've kind of at first we were limited by this line. Then we're kind of flirting with it and we're kind of trending on this line. Now, at some point, uh, we should break this. There's sort of this secondary overhead resistance, and I know these these charts are kind of messy, and it's, it might be a little bit hard to see. But um, basically, what you can do is you can draw um, you can draw a line starting from right here, and then you can connect this spot and this spot, and that's what this line is right there. So um, earlier this week, I kind of drew these little white squiggles, which was what I expected probably price would do this week. Um, and we pretty much we pretty much got close to that. Um, again, we'll probably continue going up like Bitcoin's probably going to try and trend towards this resistance line right there. And then at some point in December, it's, it's probably going to take a little pullback. Uh, at least that's that's my prediction for for what this chart looks like to me. Um, we are getting close to the bottom. We might have already bottomed. Actually, it's, it's very possible. I, I personally I want to see what I think is going to be this one last drop before we get a big sustained move to the upside next year. Um, so, uh, but you know, that, that's dangerous. That, that could be dangerous. It might be wiser just to rebuy. There are still kind of like, I don't know, kind of black swan, stuff like that. There's still a lot of rumors floating out there. Um, but I'm starting to hear the kind of talk and, and it's, it's always a bad idea to try and trade off of like being a contrarian or trade off of what you hear other people saying, you know, like, uh, when everyone's, you don't want to trade off that, but it, it is kind of a signal. I've started to hear some of the people that were like permabulls all the way through this bear market are now starting to be like, no, Bitcoin's going lower. We're going to go to 10,000 now. And I've kind of been thinking that in my head for a long time, that I want to see the people that have said this was the bottom, this was the bottom every step of the way down. I want to see those people expecting it to go lower. Once those guys are saying, hey, okay, it could go lower. That's that again, you don't want to trade off of that, but um, that is kind of one of those little signs that you can look at and say, well, you know, 
maybe the psychology is it's time to get on the long side of this market again. Um, this is total crypto market cap. Again, it's got a very similar structure um, to Bitcoin. It's basically, you know, we've got uh, this long-term resistance lines. It's a little bit messy, um, but, you know, when you start zooming in, it, it makes more sense. Um, like, for example, we had this uh, this wedge structure, classic wedge structure in August. That was why um, on Reddit, for example, I was telling people right around here, I said, hey, this is probably the top. We're, we're going to go down now because um, these wedge structures are, are just really common. Um, right now, um, it, it, it kind of does feel a lot like this time period, um, all of October and uh, a little bit of September, where price just seemed like it wanted to go down, but there was just someone not allowing it to. Uh, and then ultimately it crashed. I kind of have a similar feeling right here um, that it's like it just seems like maybe someone, some big entity was trying to put a floor in this market. Maybe not. You know, that's total speculation. I can't say that I have any inside knowledge on that. Um, so I, that's why I'm still being a little bit cautious here uh, and, and not quite rebuying. Um, but, you know, it, we are getting close and I think it probably is responsible to start um Start DCA and start rebuying uh, into crypto if, if you haven't. Um, let's see, we've got the uh, repurchase agreements and they've been going down. They've been trending down, um, still kind of flat. Let's see how next week uh, turns out. Um, because again, if we see these going down, that's that's probably a sign that markets are, are getting ready to pump. Last week we talked about the the ten year yield, uh, or sorry, we talked about all of the yields. Um, and I went back to the rest of the chart history to try and find. Um, where have we been this inverted before? So again, the darker lines being longer time frames, right? The purple is your 30 year. The blue is your 10 year. Um, and then the, the yellow is like your one year. And then the white line is the overnight, the feds fund overnight rate. Um, so I found one. So this is back you have to go all the way back to the dot com bubble to find a moment where all of the yields were totally inverted. And this lasted for most of the year of 2000. Um, now the actual crash didn't happen until 2001, like right around, um, oops, right around here, right around that area, uh, was when the crash, like the really big crash started happening on dot com. And you'll notice that, um, basically the yields all, the spreads corrected back to normal, um, and then we crashed. So, uh, pretty interesting. There's also another one if you go all the way back to like 1987 or 89, uh, where the yields were like just fully inverted again. So it is a very uncommon place for us to be. This doesn't happen very often. Um, so, again, if anyone has ideas about what that means for the bond market, I'm all ears because I'm, I'm not a, by any means an expert in the bond market. Dixie is still kind of trending down here. Um, this flag, this is kind of a, I don't know if it's a bearish flag. I don't know if it's a bullish flag. I would expect this to break up at some point, and Dixie should come back up here. We should revisit this area at some point. Uh, but maybe that won't be till later next year. I had another chart. Ah, here we go. Uh, okay, so this is the M2 money supply. It's basically M2 includes all of M1 um, plus uh, checking, oh, sorry, savings and time deposits of less than one year. So um, right now that's about $21 trillion. And this is kind of one of the signs, one of the things that we've been saying or that I've been saying for really since the end of last year that with this M2 money supply kind of flattening out here, you know, that's typically not good for risk assets. Um, and then we've got the Federal Reserve balance sheet. You can see that the Federal Reserve is still selling down their balance sheet. They went from nine trillion. They sold off, um, basically, uh, 500 billion dollars. <laughs> uh, they sold off 500 billion dollars of assets, um, since, since about April. 
Um, so again, you know, that puts negative pressures on the market. They're selling, it's mostly, um, mortgage backed securities, all the MBS that they bought in 2009 with their quantitative easing. So this is them reversing that and selling off their balance sheet, which happened once before in 2018, 2019, which is kind of funny because this was 2018, 2019. This was our bear market, right? This was the Fed selling off their balance sheet. Uh, and then kind of the same thing is happening right now. So this is why people are really starting to understand that it, the macro has such a huge influence on, on crypto. Um, and all kinds of assets. Now, the last thing we'll look at, last chart, is um, the price of metal. So essentially, this is like this is an index for all metals, right? So you're talking like nickel and copper, gold, silver, you, you name it. Not just the precious metals, but um, like rare earth metals as well. So essentially, um, these blue lines are the standard deviation. And so we're basically sitting at standard deviation for the aggregate price of metals. This should probably act as a support and... Um, it looks like the gold price and the silver price are pretty bullish right now. Um, they might not be just quite ready to break out, like not just yet, but they are pretty close. Here's the, here's the gold chart. Um, you notice that we have kind of a similar structure um, as Monero USD, right? Big bull run, long period of consolidation, double top, pulled back, and then this chart is bullish. Like this chart will eventually break to the upside in a big way. Now, this is a very long chart. It could take till next year for this to really break to the upside. Um, but, uh, ultimately like gold is not a bad place to be right here. It's probably the safest investment to be in at the moment. Um, I wouldn't, I've got most of my net worth in gold and sitting in cash as well, but also, you know, a big chunk of an arrow as well. Um, so right now gold is sitting at this, um, this line right here. Um, and if we break above that, you could expect us to probably make a return trip to the upside. Um, so I think gold has the lowest downside of, a risk of all assets right now and it has maybe not the highest upside uh, potential but it certainly has significant upside potential especially with the bullish structure a bullish chart like this um so um yeah that's uh that's all i got for you guys today anyone have any questions buddy thank you so much man uh now i think i'm i think i'm good i'm just strapped in waiting to see what happens next right on <laughs> Well, what do you think? I got to ask you. So we're, we're trying to incorporate, you know, other privacy coin projects into Monerotopia. Um, you think we could do that in a way where, uh, you know, we don't get backlash from the community? Mm, maybe it depends on which, which coin. I don't know. Like, are there any good privacy startup coins? I guess there's Firo. They, like, um, some of our Monero devs also, or at least one, is it, um, Saray, Sarang? I can't remember. I think Sarang works on Firo as well. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. We, we spoke to Firo. Yeah. They're, they're down. They want to participate. So they want to come present. Uh, we got I, that now. Yeah. We have a new one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's called Dragon X. Um, and it's basically, it's a ZK snark construction, but it's random X is their mining algorithm. Um, and, uh, they, I don't know. I think they did their trusted setup differently than Zcash. Um, so they had like two or 300 participants. Um, I don't think they had a pre-mine. I need to look at it a bit more, but it's, it's kind of like, um, it's an implementation of ZK snark, but a more fair, uh, distribution of the coins, I believe. Um, I just heard about it like a day ago. So that one might be worth looking into. The market cap of, uh, 500k. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so we're, we're trying to do it in a way where we don't, you know, uh, point people towards these projects where they start like, you know, buying them thinking there's something there. It's more so we just mm. want to talk about the tech, you know? So it it's hard to strike that balance. But I guess if we just keep 
expressing it that way, then the, the message will get out there. Yeah, it, it is a tough balance to strike because, I mean, the, the truth is, like, so maximalists kind of have this thing, the Bitcoin maximalists, where they'll be like, everything's a scam, it's all bullshit. Um, and that's kind of like, it's kind of like a metaphorical truth that protects them from getting scammed. So it's like stay away from everything because 99% of it is kind of scammy. Right. Um, but there is interesting tech out there. Like ZK Snarks is really cool stuff. Like it's complex, sure. But, um, you know, there, we should explore that probably. Oh yeah. 100%. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, maybe, maybe we'll have somebody from Zcash talk in there. Um, we'll see. But yeah, what, what's your, what's your kind of gut reaction to it? Mm, I don't mind too much, um, as long as, like you said, we focus on the tech. I enjoyed the, um, there was, at the last minute Utopia, there was one girl that she, she spoke and she was talking about Zcash. And I think they're working on, um, like, I can't remember what it's called, but they're working on some other kind of, um, oh, private Dark contracts. DarkFi, Dark yeah. yeah. And they're not like, they're, it doesn't seem like they're just like pushing ahead and pre-mining a bunch of it and then just trying to slap a product out there. It seems like they're really trying to, um, like take their time and think about the developments and, and their design parameters. Um, I think it's cool. Like I think we, I, I think we really should be on guard about being maximalist. I don't think that's necessarily, um, that's not necessarily healthy for the community in the long run. At first it kind of seems like that because you're like, you're protecting people from other stuff that could be scammy and you know, you're, you're trying to keep all the people in the market cap inside of your project. And that seems okay. But um, on the long term, I think that has really negative social consequences. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, you know, you're, you're alienating people that are, are into the core concepts, which doesn't make sense because it's such a small community to begin with, right? Like how many people in the world actually truly understand the importance of digital cash, right? Privacy, quote, yeah. privacy points. And then to alienate sectors of that community where they don't want to participate because, you know, they're interested in some other version of it. It's just silly, right? They should, we should all, they should all be hanging out in that room, you know, talking about, talking about the tech. Is the way I yeah. See it. Yeah. We should be able to have a, a really open conversation about why we, we're not participating in some of these other projects and, but still giving credit where credit's due. Exactly. All right, man. Amazing as always. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we'll see you guys on the uh, Twitter spaces in a little bit. Awesome. Alrighty, so awesome. Funny. Thank you. All right. Alrighty, uh, let's, uh, what's up? Yeah, I said let's move on to the news segment. Let's get this going. Let's do it. Let's do it. And now for our weekly news segment. Hey guys. Hey. Aloha, Tony. How's it going? Hey everybody. I'm Alrighty. Um, so before we get into the news, um, if you're watching the show and football, I advise that you shut down <laughs> the TV with football and you pay attention to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, three one. It's yeah. <laughs> I'm watching it. I have it behind us. <laughs> I'm actually. Or you can do both. You yeah, just have both. it on mute and then just be live on the show. You can all do everything at the same time. All right, you let's get both. the the news segment going. Yeah, let's get into it. Right? Um, if you're watching on Twitter Spaces, you can hop on on YouTube if you want to see the visuals, or you can just um, you can just listen to the news. That's fine as well. If you're looking for uh, the links, we will provide that as well. Um, we're working on something different now, so that um, it's going to be easier for you to access access the links. Um, but we are not going to announce that now because we're working on it. But other than that, let's get into this week's news. Uh, I would I would also like to thank everybody that gave me links 
for this week because it's so hard to uh, keep an eye on everything that is happening because there's so many things going on. So people ask me and they give me links and I say, hey, look into this. And um, some stuff make it, make it into the news. So that's um, that's very good. Now, let's talk about um, KickWallet and XMR because you can now buy XMR with credit debit card um, on Monero.com. And let's go on to the website so we can... Uh, so I can show you. So you can exchange crypto, Bitcoin to Monero, Monero to Bitcoin, or you can actually keep on buy slash sell crypto and you can buy 1500 uh, euro per day worth of Monero or um, 15,000 per month. That is the cap currently. And yeah, so if you do choose to uh, use KYC and get it um, this way, it's not optimal, of course, but it's another option that people have now. So you can use a card enter your details, put your ID, and then you can, you can purchase Monero. And as of now, you can buy it in 40 states. New York is not one of them. Of course. <laughs> of course, it's not one of them. Um, but it's in Europe. It's in a lot of places. It's not in Afghanistan, Crimea, Cuba. It's not in Russia as of yet. Belarus, Ukraine, China. Uh, but more and more places will, will be covered. So... It's not optimal, but if you do choose to have to use this option, you can. You can do that now. So um, I think that that's cool. If you don't want to use Kraken, you can just go there. And more on ramps, the better. Yeah, the more the better. Exactly, the more the better. And um, also, before we move on, if you guys want to comment on anything, you can leave a comment on Twitter Spaces or on YouTube. And I'm I'm paying attention to both. I'm trying to. And then after the news. And what we'll do is that we'll go over um, what I talked, and then maybe if someone can uh, talk more about specific subjects because they're very um, um, particular, and I, of course I can't know everything. I can cover everything. So if someone specializes in whatever I'm going to discuss, please hop on after and and uh, let's discuss it. But uh, now let's talk about the next thing that I have, uh, which is a Monero betting website. It's called Monero.win. It's back. And if you, you can bet on the last digit of the next block hash and win uh, Monero. It's a hundred percent fair game since 2000, 2018. And you can now play again and hopefully you'll win. So if you do choose to, to do that, go ahead. Have you tried that? No, I've, I, no, I've never. I've never. Have you? No, I have not. No. I kind of wish we played the lottery that one day. We were, <laughs> if we would have won all that money, <laughs> God. Whenever I thought it would have been in Burj Khalifa or something. Um, but then let's talk about actually MoneroCon. So we talked about MoneroTopia. Guys, buy your tickets. Show up. It's in six months. It's only six months away. We've officially hit the six months mark. And we are posting more and more uh, speakers as we go and more and more details. So pay attention to that. But let's talk about MoneroCon as well. MoneroCon in 2023, uh, they open a CSS proposal, and they talk about location. Well, they, they're detailing it in, in the CSS proposal and um, different locations like Prague and the costs, uh, Lisbon, Denver, um, so all kinds of locations. So it's in the works, and they're detailing all the prices and the amount of funding that, that they need and um, 
the sponsorship, how much money they need from the sponsors. So yeah, that's um, that's important to to note the distinction, right? So they they do CCS, they they you know get funding to do the conference from the community. Mm-hmm. In Aerotopia, we we don't do funding. We, we more we're more based on the sponsorships. So it's uh, a little bit different different uh, way of going about it. But I think it's good. It's good to have these kind of two versions of conference taking place. Mm-hmm. And the the way we do, I mean, it, Sunita and I, because it's really just us running it at the end of the day. Obviously, we, we always look to get feedback from the community. That's why we're constantly talking about the issues out in the open, being transparent as possible. That's how we ended up in Mexico City to begin with, right? We put a poll up. People said Mexico City, Mexico City it was. But at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're the ones steering the ship. So it allows us to, you know, move fast, pivot. Uh, so it's, it's kind of interesting because it's two different ways of going about it. And mm-hmm. then without using the CCS funding, we're a little bit more, at the end of the day, we, we can make these decisions without having to feel like, uh, you know, we, we owe the community in terms of which way we, we move. So it's mm-hmm. interesting uh, difference there between the two conferences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was thinking the same. Uh, it's interesting. But um, you guys went there, and uh, it was a lot of fun from what I've seen. Oh, my God. oh yeah, no, we had a blast. Was a lot of fun. Yeah, I will be at <laughs> every Manero ever. It was very nice. Uh, really cool. You know, and it, it always ends up, you know, I'm sure different people go to go to each, uh, usually because of, you know, location and time. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen people tweet that um, they were kind of feeling the the, um, the Bitcoin vibes from like the conference vibes from Bitcoin in 2013, 2014, where it was all about really the cyberpunk, you know, uh, ethos. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, beautiful location. So I'm really curious where uh, they're gonna host the conference next year. Um, so go ahead and and um, look over the CSS proposal and. Um, yeah, participate. <laughs> awesome. Now, let's go on to, um, I'm going to open the link over here. I'm not going to play it, um, but essentially. It, it presents this unique opportunity. Oops, one um, second, okay. Uh, Justin Berman's video on uh, Seraphis and Jenkins has been uh, uploaded. So if you do want to check that out, I'm just going to reference it. I'm not going to play it because it's very long. Um, so. Go ahead, listen to it. It just got released, and it's really interesting. He actually came on Monero Talk, so if you don't want to to check out uh, Doug's conversation with him, uh, please do, because it was very interesting. So yeah, that was super cool. And then we did the Q and A yeah. with uh, the mm-hmm. live audience on Twitter. That was awesome. We had some good questions there. Yeah, that's next level. It's really cool. It's really the Twitter spaces and and the guests is awesome because you get to talk to the guests and then people actually get to ask questions at the end. It's really interactive. It's it's really awesome. I like this idea. Um, well, let's move on and let's talk about uh, Telegram because they are building crypto wallets and a decentralized exchange. And um, um, if someone can hop on after and maybe discuss this because I'm not sure what to think of it, uh, but it's interesting. So the messaging app is pushing ahead with its build out of crypto infrastructure. Wow. And yeah, but the thing that kind of surprised me is the emphasis on um, decentralization, non-custodial wallets that could reach millions of users. Um, and Telegram is already a go-to messaging app for many crypto traders, uh, giving it a captive audience from the start. So 
Yeah, it's. I'm, I'm curious of, of of what's going to um, happen with this and how it's going to turn out because again, are, they're they, are they talking about what uh, cryptos they're going to support? What, what wallets? Mm, I haven't seen anything or not. Okay. I think it's in early 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 stages. Interesting. Uh, but it says I have a quote over here. Actually, let's um, read the above as well. In a message on his personal channel, Durov contrasts Telegram's effort with the excessive centralization of failed crypto exchange FTX. Cryptocurrency users should switch to trustless transactions and self-hosted wallets that don't rely on any single third party. So um, the goal is uh, decentralization, Non-custodial wallets, self-custody. Um, yeah, so let, let's see. I'm really curious. I don't have anything. Company will build a decentralized exchange and non-custodial wallets. Yeah, that's 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 really cool, man. That's actually it's huge. Well, let's hope that that's what's gonna be. You know. <laughs> wow. Let's let's hope. So, if anybody knows let's anything, get ready for Telegram coin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. One caveat. Uh huh. Is it going to be private? Mm. I don't know. Um, what let's, do you, get you to, let's get him to Monerotopia. Let's hear. Let's hear about Telegram coin at uh, Monerotopia. Just kidding, guys. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like, yeah. uh, honestly, why not? Maybe. Um, but you, you did talk with Body about um, some other privacy coins, and he mentioned Dero. And uh, but I actually want to talk about Secret Network. Uh, because Stefan von Schreik, wait, there, someone said there's a Telegram coin called T-O-N, Ton. Okay. Uh, I'm not, I don't have much detail on that, but if someone does have, please hop on after. Um, and I'll do my research as well. Uh, interesting. But, um, Stefan von Schreik tweeted, our survey of SG, SGX attacks is out. Come learn about how SGX fails in real life. Check out our website, sjx.fail, including attacks on secret network. Now, if we open the link, I want to show you a couple of things. Um, so they essentially successfully attacked the secret network. And um, so the secret network has been vulnerable to the APIC and MMIO vulnerabilities that were publicly disclosed on August 9th, 2022. These vulnerabilities could be used to extract the consensus seed, a master decryption key for the private transactions on the secret network. Oof, okay. Um, exposure of the consensus seed would enable the complete retroactive uh, disclosure of all secret for private transactions since the chain began. And then we have above, they also mentioned that we urge privacy conscious users to reevaluate the risk, considering that their past transactions may be exposed and yeah, I mean, this, this is exactly what we're talking about, right? So Secret Network is, you know, perfect example of a project. I think we even were talking to them last, last year about having them come to Monerotopia or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they did it, but they could have very well have come, you know, and, and talked about what they're doing there. And then here we are, you know, six months later and they have, you know, kind of a, a major failure in terms of uh, their privacy. So, this, that's what I'm talking about, right? So it's, it's interesting to, to look at these projects in terms of what they're trying to do in theory. Uh, but remember, there, there's much more to this than, um, you know, uh, these, than, 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 than ideas, right? It's about implementation. Mm -hmm. It's about standing the test of time. It's about having, 
you know, a large network of intelligent devs that are constantly looking at the project. Um, so, you know, take these things into account. Here's just another perfect example of it. Uh, secret network not panning mm -hmm. out to be what it originally intended to be. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how, what they're going to do to recover from this. And, but, um, if you actually open, there's a document at the end of the, um, at the bottom of the website called sgx.fail. If you look on, on the file on page three, we have, um, some in detailed, we breached the privacy guarantees of the secret network, allowing us to recover the internal state of secret, secret smart contracts and any digital assets in them. Um, so that's, that's concerning. And, um, of course, it's good to see many privacy protocols and enhancing tools, but I guess it depends on, I don't know. I feel like whenever you advertise utmost privacy, you are responsible for a person's life in a way because they might absolutely trust whatever you build to protect them against whatever it may be, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, we shouldn't take the privacy word so lightly. I think it's very important because if you really advertise privacy, um, you should really, you should think that my product should protect this person's life, you know? And I mean, I, I think I, mean, I would trust Monero if, you know, God forbid something happens, um, you know, the governments are after me or whatever. Um, I think I would trust it with, um, it protecting my, my assets. Um, I, I would, I would trust that, but anything else as of now, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure how they're going to recover it. Again, if, if anybody knows more, uh, please hop on, please do. And, um, unless it's possible. Yeah, hop on Twitter Spaces again because it's <laughs> it's hard to know the details of all this stuff, you know. So uh, please do hop on um, after the news section and let's discuss. Uh, but that, with that being said, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, centralized exchanges. Uh, JP Morgan said that centralized exchanges will continue to dominate crypto, and uh, this article talks about. Um, traders and how centralized exchanges are are still a better option and how most of the people opt for for them and how um, the recent collapses of centralized exchanges like FTX have made people more aware of DEXs and may uh, make them want to use them more. Uh, but then they detail the, the cons of DeFi as well, um, one of them being uh, says over here, moreover, DeFi is still at greater risk of hacks and exploits. Chain analysis estimates combined losses of 3 billion across DeFi in 2022. Uh, DeFi protocols also still have some functional disadvantages, including over, uh, and a lack of stop loss functionality. Um, so, and then it says that traders still choose CEX despite risks. A study by consensus uh, shows that 99% of crypto traders still go through centralized exchanges. Most traders still choose to deal with them and their accompanying counterparty risks. Um, also, I want to mention one more thing. Moreover, the transparency of transactions on a DeFi protocol is also an issue for traders. 
<laughs> Traders don't want the full record of their trading strategy to be available on the blockchain. Like they shouldn't. That, that shouldn't be a thing. So um, it's a really good concern and it's a really good point. And, um, and I mean, more and more uh, CXs will collapse. And even, I think that's my next article that I have. Yeah, even BlackRock, the, so the CEO of BlackRock mentioned this as well. Most crypto firms will fail in wake of uh, the FTX collapse. It's important to build a very good DEX and one that respects your your privacy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess in, for now, uh, yeah, a lot more user, users will use uh, CEXs even though um, these kind of collapses, major collapses occur- occurred. And I've seen I've seen a title in which um, it said something along the lines that um, SBF said that um, he miscalculated $8 billion. <laughs> you can miscalculate $100. You can miscalculate, um, you know, I guess a 1,000 from a large number, but $8 billion, that's a large number to, you know, just... But I'm not going to cover anything on... on I'm not going to cover much on sand because it's just like... It's so much to talk about and, you know, there's, yeah, I would much rather talk about different things for now. Um, but BlackRock's uh, chief executive believes that the collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX, in which the asset manager uh, was an investor, isn't the end of the breakdown in the crypto space, according to news reports. I actually believe most of the companies are not going to be around. And it's true. Most most of them are, are not going to be around. No, I think, I think, yeah, no, I think that's it, all that I wanted to mention from this article. So, uh, for now, CXs, I guess, are more used than DEXs, but hopefully in the future, more people will, will, will use, um, DEXs. Um, now I want to talk about, uh, crypto miners in Russia and that they capitalize on the bear market by hoarding ASIC devices, uh, because electricity is very cheap. And, um, even though most of Europe is suffering due to, due to, um, the electricity uh, prices, Russia is doing very well and electricity, electricity is very cheap so that they can actually mine more. And I've seen a large, um, surge in, uh, local demand for mining hardware in quarter three of 2022. And it says over here, local dealer Chilkut reported its ASIC sales in November and October exceeded its entire sales made in quarter three over the past nine months. The distributor reportedly sold 65% more hardware than in 2021. Um, and then we also have, uh, we are working with legal entities and we see that they begin to buy 30% more equipment in one transaction than at the beginning of the year. And if we're looking at the cost of electricity, it's $0.07 per one kilowatt um, hour. Which is very cheap, so people buy ASICs and and they mine Bitcoin, and it's essentially profitable for them. Um, but if you're watching, you should probably look into Monero as well. It doesn't require an ASIC; it uh, just require, it requires a CPU. So maybe buy some CPUs as well and mine some <laughs> mine some Monero. Now I want to talk about um, Italy, and it's. And uh, it imposing a 26% capital gains tax on crypto profits in 2023. Now, um, Italy and and Portugal um, didn't really have any taxes on crypto, but as of 2023, they're going to. 
And uh, it says the 26% capital gains tax will be imposed on cryptocurrencies trading profits larger than 2,000 euros. Um, Italy is plan- planning to tighten regulations on digital currencies in 2023 by expanding its tax laws to include cryptocurrency trading, according to budget documentation released on December 1st. Um, and then it says that according to Tribe A data, 2.3 of the Italian population, which equates to about roughly 1.3 million people, own crypto assets. And Italy appears to be following in Portugal's footsteps in October. Portugal, once known as a cryptocurrency tax haven, and a lot of people wanted to <laughs> actually move to, to Portugal for this reason, for the tax haven in crypto. Uh, but now they're proposing a 28% tax on capital gains as well, uh, starting in 2023. So if you were, if you were looking to move to Italy or Portugal based on the tax haven reason, maybe <laughs> you should reevaluate your decision. <laughs> And actually, since we're talking about Italy, I'm going to talk about Giorgia Meloni. And what I want to talk about is the fact that she said that cash cash must be king. Uh, Giorgia Meloni tells shoppers, Italy is to use more cash and fewer credit cards, bucking a global trend towards electronic currency. After Giorgia Meloni, the prime minister dismissed card payments as private money. Meloni, who was elected in September is finalizing her first budget, which is due to include a rule allowing shopkeepers and businesses to refuse cards and demand cash for payments up to $60. The rule would raise the current limit of 30 euros. I mean, 60 euros, not dollars, sorry. Um, the rule would raise the current limit of 30 euros and includes permission to sell and buy goods worth up to 5,000 euros in cash. Um, previously, it was 1,000 euros. So... Um, it's an uplifting news from Georgia Meloni. Now I'm going to mention quickly crypto post is, uh, crypto post. Yeah. Um, you can buy and print shipping labels in crypto. And I'm pretty sure that I got it from the Monero subreddit so that you can actually pay for labels in Monero. So if you're looking for DHL or USPS uh, labels, you can purchase them in Monero. You put in all, all your details and, and you buy it. So I thought this was really cool. Um, let's move on. I got a couple more things, guys, uh, that I'll, I'll quickly touch upon. And then we'll move on to the next section. But um, I want to talk about Switzerland and the electric vehicle ban to avoid blackouts. So they wanted to, they wanted us to uh, buy electric vehicles so that we wouldn't use as much fuel anymore. And now they don't want us to use the electric vehicles. <laughs> Um, which is funny. So Switzerland could limit the use of electric vehicles in cases of electricity supply shortages this winter under a new four-step plan to prevent power cuts and uh, blackouts. Now, driving EVs could be banned in Switzerland unless in cases of absolute necessary journeys in stage three of the power conservation plans. The country also plans a stricter speed limit on highways in the recent, recently proposed action plan, which has yet to be adopted. Um, this is because they typically import electricity from France and Germany to meet all uh, their power demands. This year's, this year's supply uh, from its neighbors is <laughs> constrained. Um, so <laughs> I, I do think that this is going to, uh, to be passed. 
And um, it just shows that no matter what they tell you to do, you'll eventually do that, and then they'll take it away from you somehow as well. Um, so, yeah, I thought this, this was interesting and concerning at the same time. Now, I'm not going to talk about it too much, but um, the Twitter files have been released. They talk about uh, Hunter Biden's laptop and how Twitter suppressed the story. So I find I find it um, really interesting the fact that Elon Musk is now exposing all the things that Twitter has been suppressing all this time and their influence over politics. So if you want to check it out, go to Matt, uh, T-A-I-B-B-I, Matt Taibbi, and you can check out the Twitter files. We also have the links for you so you can check it out later and read that for yourself. But it's a, it's a long thread. And, um, yeah, it's, um, it's really, really concerning that, um, they did what they did. I'll just mention one actually. Uh, for example, uh, Biden's team would just, um, give some links to Twitter and then they would say, oh, more to review from the Biden team. And then they would put some links and then Twitter reply with handle these. <laughs> so it goes beyond Hunter. Biden goes to other stories that they suppressed, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it basically just showed the relationship between you know Silicon Valley tech uh, and the powers that be, uh, you know, whoever was con- controlling the the government at at that time, and how they were basically uh, using con- you know their influence and their relationships with Silicon Valley tech to. Uh, achieve whatever agenda it is they wanted to achieve. Uh, so mm-hmm. kind of, uh, corruption at, at its, at its highest level, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and certainly deteriorating, uh, the democratic Republic that we live in, um, not mm-hmm. allowing, especially for when we talk about, you know, platforms like Twitter that are supposed to be, you know, the, 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 uh, the digital town squares of our time. Uh, and they, they weren't, uh, acting in that way, and it appears like Elon is pushing us in in the right direction. Uh, you know, what, whatever you may think about him or whatever. I mean, the the fact is, uh, he is I, doing uh, very very brave and uh, a, a, taking extreme action towards uh, moving Twitter in the direction of being a pure uh, free speech uh, platform. Uh, and uh, I think I think it's I think it's an interesting experiment. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately we we're going to need to see some kind of decentralized uh, replacement because uh, you know I think even Elon is going to run into issues because at the end of the day it is it is a centralized company uh, mm-hmm. where decisions have have to be made and there's always room for for influence. Uh, but I think it's it's interesting to watch him attempt to move Twitter in the direction of being more uh, truly a free speech platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, some people said that um, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, would um, deplatform or take down uh, Twitter from the App Store. And then um, Elon Musk and Tim Cook actually met in real life and they discussed it and they're not going to do that. But if anything happens, Elon Musk said that he'll build his own phone and then you'll be able to access the Twitter app from. I mean, that's that's just amazing, right? So it's it's. Yeah. I, I think these are all all good things for for technology. Um, I mean, how amazing would that be if we had you know a, another a major uh, tech company competing in the space of 
of phones, right? More competition is good. And the hope is that the competition would be around creating uh, a product that is uh, essentially, you know, more open source in nature, right? Because I think people are waking up to the fact that there's issues with these walled gardens. It's becoming very real for people. It's not just, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just uh, people like us talking about why these are issues, but it's, it's starting to hit home with the mainstream, them understanding the repercussions of these large tech companies having all this power and authority over decentralized uh, businesses that greatly influence our society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good points. And, and I'm sure we'll start talking about Monero soon enough, right? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> that should happen, honestly. Um, but I was I was uh, reading on YouTube. Someone mentioned, uh, uh, but what is this idea that Elon wants to put? Um, in our head, the chips. Okay, so um, what's this idea about uh, Elon Musk trying to put chips in people's heads? And I do actually have um, a link for that, but let, let's just go over one more thing and then we'll discuss that thing exactly. And then that'll be in the end of the news. This is a- uh, what I want to show you guys is an ATM at Art Basel, which puts your bank account balances and a photo on a leader sh- leaderboard for all to see. Now, essentially, and uh, you're not going to be able to, to see this on Twitter Spaces, but essentially it's an ATM and um, you stay in front of it. It's going to take a picture of you and then it assigns like a random um, balance. I think that's that's what it does essentially. It's not the real balance, but, you know, and then you can see. No, I think it's people's real balance. You think? I don't think so. Yeah. That's You think so? Yeah. Put your bank account balance on the leaderboards, and it'll rank you among other Art Basel guests to see who has the most money currently. Number. If that's true, I mean, I guess people did it. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I, I don't know, but you know, number one was two point nine million dollars, and this guy, uh, this guy's picture was taken by the ATM, and it was displayed on on the leaderboard, ranking from the the richest to to the poorest, <laughs> but. This is essentially what all the cryptocurrencies are. This is essentially what Bitcoin is. It's allowing you to see how much money someone ha- someone has. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that some people found this concerning <laughs> because it is concerning. It's okay. it's nice to see that uh, you know artists are, are are picking up on this right and starting mm-hmm. to um, express these dystopian ideas. This is how this is how we, you know, the mainstream becomes informed. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Plus, it's so visual that you you can't, you know, you, it's it's it was really cool. Um, it's now, the most concerning part is people just go along with it. They're like, "Oh, great, this is great." <laughs> you know, I love that I show my balance. We're like, "No, you're not supposed to want to." Yeah, no. doing that. No, it's horrible. I mean, that that's what we're up against, you know. There's just there's yeah. minds have to have to change overall. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, well, that's gonna take a long time. I mean, some people say they have nothing to hide, so we're battling against against that as well. Right. Um, but l- the last thing that I want to talk about is, and then hopefully when we hop on um, after the guest on Twitter Spaces, we'll discuss some stuff from the news. If you guys want to talk about it. Um, 
do you guys like the Neuralink? What do you think about it? So essentially, Elon Musk said that the Neuralink will make the blind see and the handicapped walk again. <laughs> and besides that, it's going to be able to um, stream music into your brain. So I guess you can have the Monerotopia show straight into your brain. <laughs> and you can listen to, to that anywhere with no headphones. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure what to, um, the, the thing is that, and it's going to be my, my last point. Um, the thing is that, do you want this in your brain? And you might say no, but in, in a way, in a, in a couple of decades, you're going to be essentially like, like a chimp because all your colleagues are going to download information at terabytes per second. And I guess there'll, there'll be a way to assimilate that information as well. So you'll just beat the chimp against all your friends that speak like 20 languages that they just downloaded and they have all the history of, from the entire world in, in their brain because they just downloaded at lunch. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the story is all this time technology, right? So you could, you could sit, you could sit out, sit it out and let others participate because you don't want the, you know, to participate in the, the effects of technology that make us less human. But then you're no longer participating and competing in, in, in traditional societies. So that's why it seems like we're kind of doomed, guys. Essentially. Uh, we could all sit here and say this is, you know, realizing what this can lead to. But, uh, like Tony's saying, are you, are you going to sit on the sidelines when everybody else is using this uh, to their advantage? Uh, if it becomes that. Scary stuff. Scary it, stuff. <laughs> it's yeah. And he said that it's it's ready for for humans. It just needs to pass some mm. FDA approvals, and it's ready to go. They he put it on monkeys, and they were telepathically typing on the keyboard. <laughs> um. So, um, I'm not sure. Well, Please, guys, like leapfrog humans. Maybe uh, you know if they start using it first. Yeah, yeah. That's that's insane. That's absolutely insane. I mean. Because people can hack this stuff, so what? I mean, people will hack into your neural link and they'll just force you to listen to the feds all day, or you know, or you have you're gonna wake up and you're gonna have the government chant into your ears when you wake up for the first ten minutes. Or surveillance in its worst possible form, right? We're concerned about transactions, and I mean, imagine if your every thought is completely surveilled and tracked. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> you know, like at least. When we had communism and all these things, at the worst times, when you're in the in jail, whatever, at least you have your own thoughts, you know? Like, you can think your own things, you can't verbalize it, but you can think about it. With this thing, you're, like, you're done. I, I don't know. So, uh, please, guys, like, if you have any input, <laughs> some of you like it, please let me know why. What do you think about it? Um, all in all, this was this week's news section. Um, we're going to conclude it. We're going to have the guest, uh, next up. So we have all the links. Um, please hop on up to the guest. Let's discuss some of the things that we talked about today. And, um, other than that, um, we'll see you next time with the news. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Thank Tony, you, thank Tony. You so much. You're the mom. You're the mom. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you're all the mom. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, Tony. All right. Thank you guys. Bye bye bye. Bye bye. Let's get Howard. Bye -bye. Let's get Howard. Alrighty. Let's do this. The Monerotopia guest segment is sponsored by Cake Wallet. Store, send, receive, and exchange your Monero and Bitcoin safely on iOS and Android too. 
Cake Wallet is open source, and you always control your own keys. Hello, Howard. How's it going? Howard. Hey. How's it going? How are you? Going good. How are you guys? Thank you for uh, patiently uh, sticking with us on Monerotopia. Hopefully it was entertaining, hanging out in the waiting room. (laughs) (laughs) I I had my cat in my lap, so I couldn't actually go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Aww. So, uh, how you doing? How you feeling on Random X's third birthday over here? Hey, well, you know, it's that's all good news. Um, you know, technically, you know, Random X is older than three years. You know, three years is just when it was deployed on mainnet, but you know, we were r- running it on testnet at least five months before that. Okay, so uh, it's it's been around uh, longer than people are aware of, and and you were. Uh, mentioning, you know, the other day, right? I, I, I kind of constantly incorrectly label you as the creator of Random X, uh, but the real history was you created Random JS, right? Which then evolved into to Random X. That's right. Yeah. So uh, yeah. How, how would you how would you describe that for people that are kind of uh, you know first learning about Random X? So yeah, the original idea was that. Um, was to have randomly generated programs, but I was going to randomly generate JavaScript programs. And uh, we kind of hoped that using JavaScript for proof of work would actually allow us to keep doing, you know, in-browser web mining. But um, as we continued to work on it, we ran into, like, a couple of different design flaws that simply couldn't be fixed, you know, um, the fact is, when you randomly generate a program in a language like JavaScript or, or any other language, it means you have to conform to a particular set of syntax rules. And if you generate uh, something that actually complies to the syntax, that means you can you can actually bypass the language itself. This was a huge uh, gaping hole in optimization resistance. Anybody who wanted to optimize this proof of work could just completely bypass the step of uh, generating the code and compiling it, and they could just execute it directly from the, the random rules. And, you know, that's when Tevador came along and said, hey, you know, since we have this problem, we should just use a system that doesn't have any language syntax at all so that we ourselves can process directly from the randomly generated values. And that's that's what led to RandomX. Beautiful. So how, do you, how are you feeling about RandomX today? I mean, is it, is it living up to its expectations? Yeah, totally. Yeah, when, when we first um, proposed it, we said, you know, it's very likely that within three to five years, you know, we'll want to look at retuning it because, you know, technology will have advanced. And so now we're, you know, we're at the three-year mark of deployment, and we see that it's still holding up perfectly well. Uh, you know, we can look at the um, the specs and benchmark reports of, like, the next generation of chips coming out from AMD and Intel, and we can see that, you know, there's no, there's no major leap in performance coming down the road, and, uh, you know, things are just 
technology there is just gradually improving. So, you know, we're still on a track right now where we don't need to retune anything, you know, at least for the next another year or two. And so, and is it fair to say that we, it would be, you know, unlikely that some ASIC is secretly produced outside of those two companies, right? Uh, because of the amount of resources it would require. Essentially, they're, you're competing with the AMDs of the world to try to build a better CPU chip. And realistically, there's just, that's just not going to happen. So they're going to be at the forefront of, of, of building, you know, the, the best CPU and that we wouldn't likely see some other secret ASIC being created that can. Yeah, uh, basically. Max. Um, you know, the, the other name that you can't discount is ARM, you know, because ARM has been making their entire business up to this point on uh, high efficiency processors for, you know, embedded systems and smartphones, right? So they, they actually are in a position to say compete with AMD on efficiency, right? Um, now so far they haven't released anything into the market that beats AMD, but that's, uh, that's largely due to the fact that AMD has better on chip caches. And if ARM actually, you know, gets in the game on that and puts out a decent desktop or server oriented chip with more on chip cache, then they would probably get to be, you know, within, within parity with AMD. Oh wow. But once again, that wouldn't be something that would kind of happen in secret. You would, we would see it coming, right? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, and we've talked about this in the past, you know, when, when we were designing this is like, you know, if, if you were going to build a custom ship, um, you probably would start with something like an arm because again, you know, they're already optimized for energy efficiency and you could again, throw out certain chip components that RandomX doesn't use. But, uh, you know, ultimately th there isn't that much of a savings to be had. You know, part of, part of what they're up against is simply economies of scale. You know, mm -hmm. like Intel and AMD are pushing out millions or billions of chips a year. So your little custom chip design shop trying to design an ASIC, you can't get the kind of pricing that they can. And so even if you design a quote better chip, you can't produce it at a better price. So there, there's, you know, there's a lot of things working against that. What do you say to people like Peter Todd that are still, you know, very critical of random X? What's your, your response? His <laughs> critique is that. Uh, you know, I guess it's an indication of Monero centralization. The fact that we, we are tweaking our proof of work for purposes of venting, uh, ASICs. Uh, you know, uh, the, the reality is, you know, what we have done has worked. So all of these arguments against it are just, you know, they fall apart. Now, um, a lot of people have said, oh, yeah, Monero is centralized because it hard forks every six months. And, you know, that obviously isn't happening anymore. You know, the, the, 
before the last hard fork, you know, the previous one was 18 months prior. So you know, we're, we're off of that cadence because, you know, the, the software is maturing, the ecosystem is maturing, and we just don't need to upgrade that frequently anymore. But, you know, the, the other counter argument to Peter's point is simply, you know, software needs to upgrade. And that's, <laughs> that's the reality that any computer professional should know, you know, from, from the past at least 50, 60 years of experience is software needs upgrades, right? That's, that's, uh, that's just a fact of life. And for someone to say, you know, Bitcoin is so wonderful because it's immutable. You know, you're talking about a design that was dreamed up in 2008 and it's, you know, it's very much showing its age because they don't allow it to be upgraded you know, the way that Monero is, is allowed to. And so, I mean, that, that's just, it's, it's incredibly ignorant. What do you think that's going to lead to for, for Bitcoin? I mean, is, is, are they going to reach a crossroads where there's going to have to be some kind of major, major upgrade? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, that is how it looks to me, right? You know, you, um, if you watch discussion of, Bitcoin emission and the possibility that it's going to need a tail emission. You know, they're, they're obviously seeing the writing on the wall that, um, you know, they're going to, they're going to run out of road really soon. Yeah. And either they're going to fall off a cliff or they're going to fix something and release a major hard fork. You know, they're, they're not going to have any choice on that. It's either going to be, Hard fork and upgrade or watch it die because their, their emission schedule is, is completely unviable. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy, crazy to watch. Um, we're trying to get Peter to come, come to the conference. It'd be awesome to have him there. We could, uh, we could, you know, I guess, uh, grill him in, in, <laughs> in real life. It'd be great to have you down there as well. Um, so what do you, when, when you say that, you know, we may, uh, have to tweak ram, random X as CPUs evolve, what would those tweaks like look like? Can you kind of explain that? Like give us any insight into what that sure. means? You know, I mean, the random X is extremely tunable, right? There's, there's dozens of parameters that you can change that would vary the amount of resources it consumes, you know, the, length of programs that it generates, the, um, the types of instructions that it uses in those programs. And so, you know, we can see, uh, for example, if uh, AMD now has these chips with what they call the 3D V-cache on them, they, they have something like three or four times the normal amount of on-chip cache. Okay, so... Uh, the current random X design is targeted at like two megabytes of cache per thread. And with a 3DX, uh, chip, you know, we could go to six or eight megabytes of cache per thread. Right. So things like that. And if we were to take advantage of that, um, and this is kind of a bad example because I don't think we'll do it. Cause if, if we were, if we were to increase the cache requirements to like six or eight megabytes per thread, then that would, that would just leave Intel and ARM completely in the dust. You know, they would, they would no longer be anywhere near competitive. But, um, 
those are the sorts of changes we're looking at. You know, when when something becomes widely adopted, you know, if Intel and AMD and ARM all have some equivalent features, then you know maybe we'll start thinking about adding that to the instruction mix. You know, things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, and it it sounds sounds pretty good. But can, I mean, what what would be the arg you know the Peter Todd argument? What would be you know the, the the steel man argument as to why that's potentially an issue? The fact that we are tweaking the proof of work, like how could that be used in a way? How could that information or that 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 process be used in a way where it benefits some? you know, some group or party within the Monero community where they could take advantage of it? Like, what, what would that even look like? Um, that's, <laughs> that's a really interesting question. I mean, it would, it would require, I mean, I can't even, I can't even picture that because, you know, all of this development is happening in the open, right? It's, it's open source. The, the design decisions are happening on, GitHub or IRC, I mean, where everybody can see them. So I, I can't see how anybody gets a secret advantage out of that. Now, if, if one were to imagine that, um, you know, some, some chip developer is secretly observing the con conversations, you know, even, even that doesn't give them an advantage because everybody else can see the conversations too. So I, I it, that makes no sense to me, All right? And and it's not like you know the three of us, Tevador, Eschernik, or myself. You know, none of the three of us own a chip company, right? So <laughs> none none of us have profited from this. I mean, I I, I just don't see it. Right, and and you're not you, you can't secretly be working on one on the back end in any realistic way that would compete with the major uh, CPU providers. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Sounds, sounds pretty, pretty good to me. I don't know. <laughs> so, so where, do you, where do you think these arguments are really stemming from? Is it, is it really that they, did they have technical basis there? Or you think there's something else going on there and there's, there's a reason why? I mean, even when, when, when Random X was first proposed, there was, you know, there was some strong pushback in the community that, that didn't want to move in this direction because they, they didn't want to prevent essentially the evolution of uh, an ASIC market for Monero. Um, where where do you think people, why are people, uh, you know, opposed to it? I mean, I mean what, do you think it's really for technological reasons or do you think they, they have some other in incentive as to why they they don't want to, you know, see something like a random X succeed? There's, you know, there certainly was a lot of philosophical debate about, you know, whether an ASIC market is good or bad or, you know, whether uh, a commoditized ASIC market would arise. You know, um, I think people are still saying, oh, now, you know, there's four or five major ASIC manufacturers in the world. And so the market is opening up. And, um, you know, so the idea that one company can monopolize them all is no longer a threat. And... I'm still not sure if that's, you know, a valid viewpoint because, you know, you can see that you can see the reports that, you know, ASIC sellers are now having to do KYC, right? So they are, 
they're a <clears throat> a middleman in the system that that makes crypto vulnerable. You know, again, if we're talking about uh, privacy of just financial privacy in general, you know, if you have to do KYC just to be a miner, you know, you, <laughs> you've kind of lost some of the point, haven't you? So, so there's there's that aspect of it. Uh, there were a lot of people who were, you know, tossing technological arguments against random X, but, you know, again, they just didn't understand the technology. And I, uh, that, that was the case over and over. Um, they could point to previous failed attempts at ASIC resistance, you know, which, you know, I covered actually in depth in one of my MoneroCon talks. And again, the point there was, yeah, those attempts failed because those guys didn't know what they were doing. They didn't understand what is special about a CPU. <laughs> you know, and, and that's really what it comes down to is, you know, an ASIC is application specific, right? It's a specialized chip. So what are you specializing for? And a general purpose CPU is specialized for running programs, right? It's not specialized for running a single thing over and over and over again. It's specialized for running anything that you could throw at it. And so every previous attempt at basic resistance missed that point, and that's why, you know, all of those attempts failed. And that's where RandomX succeeds because we know that we're, we're not just doing one single thing you know, we're randomly generating every possible program we can. How about the, uh, the fact that, you know, Monero really uh, isn't, isn't profitable to mine right now? Um, and some people say maybe that's, you know, because, uh, right, bot, there's botnets that can take advantage of the fact that it's CPU mined and so you're competing against all these, you know, botnet miners. What, what's your, Give, give us some insight into into that. That's <clears throat> again, that's that's just bullshit that people don't understand. You know, um, it will always be the case that mining is zero or negative profitability. All right, hash rate always uh, rises to meet price. You know, when when the price rises, people get it, and you know, it draws people's attention, and more miners jump in. And more miners jump in and more miners jump in. And so they raise the hash rate. They raise the difficulty level until profitability gets to zero again. I mean, that that equilibrium is just part of the way mining works. And that's true for Bitcoin. That's true for every proof of work coin. You know, now in Bitcoin, you don't see that happening. All right. Because the the actual distribution of profit is uneven. Right. You can look at it as a Pareto rule again, where it's uh, an 80-20 rule, where 20% of the miners will make 80% of the profit. All right. But if you zoom out and just look at the total net, it's zero sum. You know, the more the more the coin value goes up, the more miners try to jump in until, you know, the hash rate and the difficulty level meets the profit level and they cancel out. And that's that's just the way it is. And you're saying the reason why we don't see that in Bitcoin is because it's not as egalitarian, is because there's a, a, a group of people that have a, an unfair advantage over others. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you 
you can go and, and order an ASIC online, right? And, and set it up in your house. You know, how much profit are you going to make? You're, you're going to make zero. You're going to, you know, you're going to lose money on that. And, you know, the only thing you'll gain out of it maybe is you'll get heat for your house over the winter, right? But you're, you're not going to get, a, you know, an actual cash return on that. And so is, is, does Bitcoin eventually arrive at where Monero then already is, right? So is that kind of the, the end game for Bitcoin if it continues to work out and ASICs become more commoditized? Eventually it, it arrives at where Monero already is. So where it's, you know, uh, you know, the ASICs will eventually won't have an unfair advantage because it would be so commoditized where everybody has access to these quote unquote ASICs. Well, that's, that's the, the idea that the Bitcoiners tell you. Um, I'm skeptical that it will ever get so fully commoditized as that. I, I don't see it happening. And then along the way, it's also just unfair as we try to get to that point because they're, they're taking advantage for all those years up, before it arrives at that at that endpoint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, even it, it's unfair from so many levels, right? You know, the like the bit bitmains and others of the world they design their new ASIC and they mine for themselves, right? Until maybe a year or whatever has passed, and before they release the ASICs to any other uh, commercial customers, and so you know, as a as a general public consumer, you're always going to be at a disadvantage in the in the Bitcoin ecosystem. You know, you're always getting yesterday's scraps. Um, how about the you know the the security ultimately of the Monero network versus Bitcoin? Obviously, the hash and power of Bitcoin is right tremendous, right? Uh, Monero's. Uh, you know, pales in comparison in terms of the amount of electricity and, you know, proof of actual work that's going into providing security for the chain. How do you feel about Monero's security in terms of its, uh, you know, proof of work? Is it, is it, is there, you know, is it susceptible to an attack because it's, you know, there's, it's not being, uh, Find as much as, as something like a Bitcoin, or is it because if you look at the, the, the whole picture, ultimately, uh, it would be difficult to, uh, something like Monero, even though maybe it's, it's not sucking up as much electricity as, as something like Bitcoin. How do, how do you look at Monero's security level? Uh, you know, it's the, um, the hash rate keeps going up, so, as far as I can see, you know, again, even as you say that mining is not profitable right now, you know, mining is still happening and mining is still growing. So I think if anybody were to try and attack the network, they would find a pretty active resistance. But just like happened before with, you know, there, there was no attack, but, you know, people we're concerned about um, the mine XMR mining pool having, you know, more than 40% of the hash rate. And uh, yes, Chernick just went in and rented a whole bunch of, you know, cloud mining hash rate to 
to equalize in P2 pool. I mean, the, the thing about CPU-based mining is that it's not a, it's not a fixed resource. You know, if somebody else starts ramping up, uh, if, yeah, if some attacker starts ramping up, everybody else can ramp up too. You know, whereas with the ASIC ecosystem in Bitcoin, if someone were to start deploying or taking control of Bitcoin mining pools, it would be very hard and very slow for defenders to bring new ASICs online. Because there, you know, at any point in time, there's only a fixed amount of them in the world. They're not being produced, you know, by the thousands or millions the way CPUs are. And they're not, they're not just sitting around ready to switch on the way CPUs are. Right, right. You're saying so, so in Bitcoin, um, oh, an attack could look like, you know, the, these, these, these mining entities colluding and coming together, uh, which would theoretically be possible because it's not that many parties, not that many groups that actually control the mining and the, and the building of the ASICs. Whereas, uh, in Monero, if there's uh, a ramp up of, you know, somebody trying to attack the network by, putting a lot of CPU power towards it, there's always so many more CPUs available in the world that can be resourced to, to fight against that attack. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, you know, the perfect example, you know, if we rewind the clock to, you know, any time in 2020 or early 2021, when like 60 or 70% of hash rate was in Chinese mining pools, right? You know, if China had, had said, okay, we're going to take control of the network. All they would have to do is talk to the the top two or three mining pools based in China and say, you know, from now on, you guys are going to start censoring any transactions involving these particular addresses, right? If they had done that, uh, there would have been nothing anyone else in the world could do to defend against that because... Again, they controlled 70% of the hash rate. And people say, oh, well, you know, the, those miners could have just moved to another pool. It's like, yeah, but, but no, because those miners were physically in China behind the Chinese Great Firewall. You know, they didn't have the luxury of choice to just, you know, aim their miners at a mining pool in the U.S. or Europe. They didn't have that luxury, right? And again, we're talking about China where all the ASICs were being manufactured. Right. So if the Chinese government had decided we want to take control over these mining pools, they would, you know, they would control the pools. They would control the individual miners themselves and they controlled the supply of ASICs, which meant nobody could get hold of new ASICs to, you know, to try and compete with their hash rate. It was, you know, it's a completely frozen ecosystem that you know, today is a little bit more distributed because China started banning miners and, you know, encouraging them to leave. Uh, so they're a little bit more distributed around the world. And today there's actually, you know, an ASIC manufacturer based in the U.S. or something. But, you know, the, the reality is that ecosystem is so uh, confined, right? There, there aren't a lot of degrees of freedom in there. And if... Uh, if OFAC becomes an issue with the U.S. mining pools and European mining pools, then, you know, this, 
this kind of threat will arise again in the future. And that won't ever happen with, you know, Monero CPU mining. Yeah, but the risk of regulatory capture is very real for, for Bitcoin. Yeah, totally. Whether it's OFAC or it's concerns of, you know, proof of work mining in general, that it's using up to ele- too much electric, uh, you know, allowing regulators to step in in that capacity. Um, seems very susceptible to that. Whereas, yeah, with, with Monero, there would have to be some kind of regulation on, on CPUs themselves, which, uh, isn't. Um, Howard, I, I guess I want to try to move to allowing people listening in to, to ask some questions. I don't know how you're going to do this because you don't have Twitter. So I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to do it. I'm going to bring. So if you're, if you're, in the let's see how disastrous this goes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'll be a complete. I did put the link, um, the StreamYard link for those that. Well, no, we'll, we'll do it in. Okay, so on StreamYard, both, on both. StreamYard first. Let's give that a go. Anybody on StreamYard want to come up? Is there anybody on StreamYard Let's now? Do this viewers on stage segment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Do the viewers on stage. All right, let me let me put on our little viewers on stage little segment to entertain you all. Here you go. It's the viewers on stage segment. It's that time where we invite you, the viewers, up on stage to comment on anything you've heard so far today, ask the guest a question, or maybe talk about one of the news topics. Come on down. How entertaining was that? <laughs> so we'll, <laughs> we'll try to entertain both. So we have 25 people listening on StreamYard. Uh, StreamYard, and then we have another like 30 or something on Spaces. spaces. I put the StreamYard uh, link in the spaces as well. So we're going to do StreamYard first. So if there's anybody that wants that's on StreamYard that wants to jump up and ask Howard a question, speak now or forever. forever hold, hold your pee. Wow, very dramatic. We'll move <laughs> anybody out there? Anybody? Oh, someone wrote, sorry, I have bad connection to okay. chat with this man. All right. <laughs> I saw Ed. Ed Edward McLean is asking amazing questions. Ed, you wanna? Can you jump up? You don't have to keep your camera on or anything. This, is, this was his uh, comment. I think. I think that helps. Arrow. What was Which his one? question? I think it was further up. I guess. He's yeah. He's been chiming in a lot about it. Edward, do you want to jump up? Edward McLean, come on down. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mm, all right, well, we're going to wait another minute, and then we'll, we'll try the Spaces version. Okay. I know people in Spaces will jump up. Edward McLean, I think Monero is comically undervalued, and that's why Monero has been unprofitable in comparison to other proof-of-work projects. Howard, what do you think about that? So in terms of price, I mean, do you uh, – what, what do you think – what's your take on that? Is it something you're, you're not concerned about, or do you – you know, whatever, it will work itself out, or like you're saying, it's just, you know, it, it always just reaches an equilibrium, so this is, this is, it is what it is. Yeah, um, no, the, there is, there is some evidence that, you know, a lot of paper trading is going on that has suppressed the Monero price. You know, if you look at, um, order books from a bunch of these centralized exchanges, you know, they have, uh, sell, sell orders that are, you know, multiple orders of magnitude more than there are coins in existence, you know, and, and certainly more than, than reside on a particular exchange. So there's definitely, um, 
a lot of price suppression happening. Okay. Uh, you can see some of the Bitcoiners talking about that too. You know, they, they, they've actually been talking about doing, you know, uh, bank runs like we've been talking about the Monero runs where they try and encourage Bitcoiners to withdraw all their coins from the exchanges. But, um, I, I don't believe it's happening to the same extent in Bitcoin because, you know, if you look at, you know, the FTX meltdown and what Sam Bankman Fried has been talking about or whatever his name is, um, you know, he actually admits that the reason Bitcoin jumped to $60,000 was because of their own leveraging and manipulation. So I believe in the Bitcoin space, um, the price has been artificially inflated and maybe at the, at the expense of every other coin in the, in the ecosystem. But definitely the, the Bitcoin price was artificially overvalued. Okay. And the reason it crashed back down to, you know, 16, 20K, whatever it is now is simply because, you know, the FTX couldn't keep the game going. On and on and on. Uh, so yeah, there, you know, there's definitely price manipulation happening. I think Monero is definitely, you know, undervalued. Um, I can't say, you know, to what degree, but certainly that, that's, that's happening. Yeah. And then Edward is saying, I completely agree with Howard that it would be inappropriate to tweak RandomX to leverage largest, larger cash while Intel does not yet have a similar competing tech. Um, and then he says, but here's the question. But for curiosity's sake, can Howard speculate on what performance increase that would have once implemented? Is it orders of magnitude or just 20 to 30 <laughs> percent? Yeah, it, it can, it, it can actually become orders of magnitude. You know, if, if we have, you know, if we have that only on AMD and not on Intel, you know, it, it, it becomes the difference between running a computation entirely in cash or being forced to go out to RAM, you know, because RAM is again orders of magnitude slower than the on-chip cache. So, you know, if you have a program that fits entirely on-chip for the AMD, but doesn't fit entirely on-chip for the Intel, then yeah, it would be much more than a 20 to 30% performance difference. Okay. Uh, anybody else in the stream yard? I think that's it. I think, I think we're going to try to do Twitter spaces. So I'm bringing up a few people to ask questions. I'm just going to, Howard, can you on, on your end, can you hear Twitter? Are you running Twitter on your end? Twitter spaces? Uh, yeah, but I'm actually not getting any audio there. Okay. Okay. Um, so I'm going to have to essentially relay the questions to you. Or no, maybe I can share the audio on my computer and he will be able to hear Howard. <laughs> okay. <Or> maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just do what you're doing and I'll, I'll see if I can. Yeah, but then no, I think now. Right? I, I see another question here in, in the stream yard from HBS. 
And he's talking about, um, your technical question. Yeah. Right. I think that figure was valid for, uh, you know, DDR4. And, um, it should actually be higher with new, newer systems using DDR5. Okay. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to try the spaces thing. Howard, hold on one second. The system is most apt to resist that and what kind of resources are available for people to just pick up and resist that attack everyday people with the cpu you can dig up cpus you can find wherever and just support the network and another plus to that is monero 51 percent attack the state would have to censor every single transaction to stop adverse parties that they want to censor with bitcoin they can just go to the big can you hear that area. You can still yes i can that's great but you have to censor these transactions. So the fact that the, the UTXO set is transparent means the regulated ASIC miners can still make money on fees and then just block, you know, the, the few censored transactions that they don't want. So essentially, any known hash rate is a security risk. If you're any kind of hash miner and the state has some way of knowing you're a miner, you're not providing security to the network at all. Yeah, that's just a few comments and uh, observations I had. Yeah, be- beautifully stated. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you any specific questions for Howard himself on these on these concepts? Uh, no, I'm I'm pretty um pretty deep in it, so I just like to you know hopefully add some understanding and clarity for people. Greatly appreciate it, man. Good stuff, Monegro. You want to uh, jump in? Hey, um. The, I guess the main question I, I would have for Howard is, um, what's the potential for governments to attack Monero's hash rate? Um, either by, I don't know, demanding that Amazon, um, dedicate some certain amount of hash rate or, um, I don't know, trying to get supercomputers together. Cause it seems like, you know, they hypothetically could do that. It doesn't seem like it's profitable to attack the Monero network, the, the mining just from like just for a profit, uh, like trying to get profit, you know. Um, but it does seem like governments might be able to do that. Um, I don't know. That's uh, I'm not too sure. So I'm hoping Howard can elucidate some. Uh, you know, we got to move over to let Howard now answer the question. He should have been able to hear that. Hold on. <laughs> we we've had this discussion before. You know, move over. To- uh, yeah, we've we've talked about you know what would happen if say. You know, Amazon or, or one of these other cloud providers were to, were to be commandeered by the government or, you know, say large supercomputing centers. And I suppose that's possible, but, um, you know, it would, I guess as a practical matter, it, it's not likely, but if we, we just talk about it from the, the technical side, yeah, it, it is possible. Um, it would take something like the top five or ten supercomputers to equal the current network hash rate. So that that would be difficult for anybody to pull off. That would be difficult for any single government to pull off. You know, since the top ten supercomputers are scattered around the world, um, and again, you know. If that sort of thing were to happen, it would be very obvious, 
right? First of all, because those, those supercomputers are normally very busy, uh, you know, doing weather predictions, nuclear explosion calculations, whatever they're, they're doing. So when they stop doing what they're doing, you know, large fields of, of science get stopped in their tracks. All right. And so it would, there would be an outcry from scientists all over the world. And we would know that, you know, somebody has commandeered all these computers and we, we would know that an, an attack is underway. And once we know that, you know, again, you know, we can, we can bring thousands or millions of new CPUs online if we really need to. And so I don't think that's a practical attack. I really don't, you know, from technically it's possible, technologically it's possible, but practically, you know, there, there are so many political barriers to that happening. Um, it, it doesn't seem realistic. Good question. It's the moving back and forth though. It's not, it's not going to work. It's not going to make for good. No, but I think, I think we've kind of figured out. It's just going to take a second because I guess when Howard talks, I have to log out of, uh, stop sharing screen. So then Howard can talk and everyone else listens. It's possible. It's just going to be. This this is much smoother (laughs) when, uh, the the guests can be on Twitter spaces. Because then I just share the audio on my computer, and then that's it. Yeah, I mean, we found a way. It's just, We're doing it, guy. We're getting the information. We figured it out. out we figured that's the it most out. Important thing, right? you know, you but have it's to go confusing. Back and listen to them. <laughs> so, so if I try and get into Twitter Spaces, though, I think I have to leave Streamyard. Yeah, but yes. you, you said you don't have the app, right? Right, I don't. So. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to t- to talk. I think. Yeah, you, you can't you, talk you on your the desktop. Web browser version yeah. is that. Yeah, I'm only using the browser. Yeah. Yes, you can yeah, listen, so you it, can't speak. It would only let you listen, it wouldn't let you speak. So okay, okay, I gotcha. Um, we have Monero UK on. So yeah, let's, let's, uh, Monero UK on StreamYard, let's, let's, let's bring see. him up. Yeah. Let's see, yeah. Let's do it live, let's do it live, guys. We figured it out, though. Hi, Monero UK. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, that's I, I, I came onto StreamYard because of... Uh, the confusion on, on that was the, going yeah, on. Yeah, I was just listening, so you caught me off guard. Um, I was going to ask just for, is it totally unrelated to what you've been speaking about? Um, Howard, do you have any memorable Monero moments? Um, whether it be something that's entertaining or, you know, something that may relate to one of the attacks that happened over one of the Christmases. I can't remember what year that was, but yeah, and any highlights in Monero or any funny Monero stories? Uh, gee, no, nothing really comes to mind. Yeah. I mean, I remember the, um, we were kind of puzzled when we first started seeing hash rate spikes. And then, uh, you know, somebody admitted that they were using free Microsoft Azure accounts and just <laughs> scooping up as many of those as he could and, and spinning up hash rate. Uh, I thought that was, you know, devious and clever to take free cloud computing accounts and, and, and burn hash rate on them. Uh, I don't know if people are still trying to do that or if those free offers are still available. But cool. it is- well, yeah, like I said, you guys, uh, you caught me off guard a little bit. <laughs> I was just trying to listen in. But yeah, if there's nothing that comes to mind, I'm sure there's too many stories to pick from and too many memories. But again, 
thank you for all that you do. I think I've said it to you before, and uh, I hope you're enjoying the coasters somewhere. Oh yeah, definitely. Howard, are you working on any other aspects of Monero, or are you just are currently sitting and waiting, watching Random X, and seeing when when you may need to to make some some tweaks? Uh, no, yeah, I don't, I don't have any active Monero coding projects going on right now. No, um, I've kind of, you know, my focus has switched back to LMDB and, um, getting other projects on board there, uh, things like that. Awesome. How do you feel about Monero tech in general? So other than RandomX, I mean, so we have things like Seraphis coming up. What's your what's your take on the other aspects of Monero? What do you what do you got your eye on? What are you most interested in? Um, you know, I think uh, Seraphis is great promise. I'm looking forward to seeing that get implemented. You know, um, I did a review of Rucknium's uh, OSP EAD paper and. Uh, I'd say that's <laughs> that was a very engrossing, gripping read. Actually, as I mean, I suppose it's dry from a uh, from a technical aspect, but you know, as as a technologist, I was um, <laughs> deeply engaged when when I was reading that. Uh, the the potential for statistical attacks on Monero privacy, you know, are, I, I think they cannot be, they cannot be overstated. You know, the statistical attacks are, are, you know, can be very powerful. You know, if, if you look at what people are, what's grabbing people's attention these days, you know, like, uh, GPT-3 and these artificial intelligence programs, you know, most of them, you know, they're not what, what you or I would consider intelligence. They're just very, very sophisticated statistical models. All right. That's, that's what is generating these natural language conversations and all of that. It's all statistics. And when you, when you realize the, the flexibility and the wide range of application of statistics, you, you can see how that can be brought to bear on, you know, tracing and de-anonymizing a cryptocurrency. So, yeah, that's that's something of great interest, definitely. What was, I, if you can, what was the main takeaway from that study? Like, what what is the, uh, the area in which Monero is most susceptible to one of these statistical attacks, essentially? Um, you know, it, it all comes down to the ring signature and, uh, you know, the, the probability of taking a lucky guess, right? So with a ring size of, of 16, you should have a 1 in 16 chance of, you know, picking the source of a transaction. And the uh, the statistical attacks can maybe improve your odds from say one in sixteen to maybe one in ten or one in five, all right, which is a drastic improvement for the for the guys who are trying to trace 
that's that's the kind of thing we're talking about. And so do you feel like those problems kind of fade away with something, you know, once Seraphis is implemented or once the, you know, the ring size effectively gets large enough? Yeah, definitely. You know, if, if we're, you know, we're talking about with Seraphis, maybe a ring size of 128 or 256. And yeah, that, that makes a lot of these texts kind of pointless. And how about, how about the tech that Zcash is implementing? Um, you know, a, a trustless, you know, uh, zero, trustless, knowledge. zero knowledge. Zero um, I like, you know, I like the sound of it at first, <laughs> you know, I do, but the reality is that the implementations are extremely slow and bulky, resource intensive, and, you know, they're not going to be, if, if, if they can't get optimized further right now, they're, you know, they're not going to be on, they're not going to be practical on common hardware for a few years yet. And so you just think it's something that Monero should, should keep its eye on as a technology that it, it may want to implement down the line once. Definitely. Yeah. Things yeah. Are out. We, you know, we should, we should always keep our eye on, you know, interesting technology that, that we could maybe leverage in the future. Absolutely. Awesome. We're going to try one more time to go back to Spacer just because there's a bunch of people that have questions there. Uh, let's try to do it more smoothly this time so you can start streaming. Howard, hold on one second. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, chill if you want to ask a question. Howard should be able to hear us. Chill, you there? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't able to unmute. Oh. <laughs> okay, so, um, Howard, thanks for joining us today. It, it was really nice to learn, um, you know, about your perspectives and you don't, you don't spend nearly as much time with us as I would like to. So I have two questions. So one regarding, um, your vision for Monero. So like, is there any, any technology out there that's on your radar that you would love to implement um, in in the future? That that's question number one. And question number two, which is kind of always on on the back of my mind, is I mean, so far we we've seen some localized weaponization of surveillance, but we haven't seen any sort of mass weaponization right and um the bank of england already hinted that now that 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 power is coming to them you know they may start doing this with with cbdc's so personally i'm i'm anticipating that one of these days we wake up and people will know that they need uh, some sort of private digital cash even even if they won't know that's monero and um like are we ready? Is Monero ready basically for for a mass uh you know adoption and, and uh would do you anticipate any sort of scalability issues? Because every time it's discussed I I always find that we end up with um well, we don't know. <laughs> so yeah, those are my two questions. All right, those those are great. Questions. I think I'm gonna to try to get other people to jump in and ask questions too, and then I'll move back over to Howard. 
and uh, I'll re-ask them all there. So you're basically saying, that, is there any any tech that Howard is excited about potentially implementing in Monero? And uh, with the onslaught of things like CBDCs, is is ready? Is Monero ready to uh, essentially uh, be the savior that we hope it will be, and can can uh, take on the onboarding of, of people moving over to to the true digital cash solution? Um, Bitshack or something? I can't I can't see the full name. Bitshack. Yeah, that's Bitshack. I'm I'm going to apologize. From the get-go for the background noise, I'm sitting in Africa, and it's a beautiful evening here, and the crickets and all sorts of animals are busy. Beautiful. I don't know if you guys can actually hear that. But in any event, uh, to Monero, this is not a show, um, but I I, I need to mention another project um, in the question. And um, the project I'm referring to is the Torchain project, which is basically a no-KYC PEX um, where you can natively trade uh, a few cryptocurrencies currently. Um, would Monero be um, joining any similar um, project in the near future with regards to people that sort of own native Bitcoin that would like to exchange some of those Bitcoins to a um, Monero native token. Um, that's sort of my question. And, uh, yeah, thanks for that, folks. Yeah, thanks for jumping so, so you're asking, will Monero be implemented into Thor? Is that Thorchain? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, or anything similar, but I'd, I'm not sure. I'd, under correction, I don't think there's any other... Um, similar technology currently functioning on 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 main uh, net, so it's also quite decentralized. Um, so it fits into the narrative of our privacy sphere. And if there is another one, well, I would like to know about it. And uh, if they are intending, I would like to know about that as well. Uh, yes, I mean, with, with, with regards to Thorchain, I'm not sure currently where, where they're at. They were trying to implement Monero, working with, uh, Haven. Um, but I believe development has stopped on that because they were, uh, they were reluctant to add privacy coins, believe it or not. I, uh, that was the last, factor. I don't know what the most recent developments on, on Thor have been. If anybody wants to jump up. Um, and talk about where Thor chain development is at with regards to adding Monero. Please do. People that have information on that. Uh, with regards to other other options, uh, Sarai Dex is being developed, and that aims to be a decentralized exchange. Actually, something similar to you know similar to to Thor in in nature is my understanding. Uh, but it will most definitely, uh, have Monero implemented. It's being essentially being built around and for the purposes of being able to, uh, swap in and out of Monero into other cryptos in a decentralized manner. So, uh, that's being worked on currently as we speak, uh, by, by Luke Parker. He's leading the way with that. He's actually going to be a speaker at Monerotopia. And so, um, 
we we hope to see uh, some 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 quick speedy developments there, and I think we will. So, uh, if that answers your question, anybody else want to jump up to ask a Howard related question? And BitShares, I hope that I hope that answered your question a little bit. Yeah, I just um, if you if you've got a link to that uh, project, I would like to to have it. Um, if you could post it in the nest or something, it would be great. Yeah, we could try to put that up there, or uh, even if you just go to Monerotopia.com, you'll see Luke Parker there. He's the developer of it. Sydney, if you want to, you want to post it up there, for sure. Definitely keep your eye on that. Um, anybody else here that wants to ask questions? Anybody else that wants to request to come up to speak? Ask something Howard related. All right, Howard, <laughs> can you hear me? Yes. I yeah. Can. yeah. Because it's funny because I, um, yeah, it's like a few seconds delayed, so it's like we have to wait accordingly. But yeah, I think take it away. <laughs> so Howard, I don't know if you were able to hear all that, but uh... yeah, I, I got all that. Um, so are we backing up to okay, go ahead to Silla's questions then, or what? Yeah, yeah, Chill's question. So any tech that you're, you, you have your eyes on that you'd like to, you know, see get, get implemented in Monero. I know we, we spoke about, uh, Zcash is zero, uh, trustless zero knowledge proofs, but maybe there's something else. Uh, and then is Monero ready to be the solution that we hope it will be, uh, with the onslaught of things like CBDCs? Is, is the, is the, is the platform actually ready to, to live up to its full potential and be used on a global scale? <laughs> right. Okay. Those are two fairly large questions. <laughs> uh, the first, um, you know, I, I was actually pretty interested in looking into homomorphic encryption, right? Like the, the Darrow guys talked about that. Um, I thought it had some promise for, you know, for this use case, but, uh, currently I, again, I don't see it being practical. I think if you look at, projects that claim to have full homomorphic encryption, they either don't really have it or it doesn't really work very well, or it's, again, it's very resource intensive. So, you know, it's something that um, sounds good to me and, you know, I'm, I'm still paying attention to it, but uh, probably not, you know, anytime in the, in the near future. Um, as for you know, scaling for Monero, you know, today I, I would say we can easily handle 10 times more volume than we currently have. You know, that would be no sweat. And you know, most current systems wouldn't even notice the difference, right? Um, if the entire world needed to get onto Monero in the next couple of weeks, you know, <laughs> we'd have some problems probably. Um, but certainly, you know, we, we could probably do a 10 or 20, 20 X increase in usage right now. And that'd be no big deal. And what, what, you know, what are the, you know, the, the things that would kind of break first when it's like, so when you're imagining this in, in your mind, uh, you're coming up with this 10 to 20 number, uh, what, what, what is, the, what's, what's the cap? Where's the cap coming from? Where's our, our week? Oh, I'm, scale? I'm just, I'm that, uh, there's no cap. There's no cap. I'm just saying that, you know, if, if I look at the transaction volume that we're doing right now and, um, and compare that to Bitcoin volume, 
you know, we're, we're already doing 15% of, of Bitcoin's transactions. Okay. On chain transactions. So, um, you know, just, just by the basic characteristics of, uh, block emission times and, uh, and hash computation, you know, we can certainly absorb a hundred percent of Bitcoin's current on chain volume, uh, with no sweat. All right. I don't know if you had any comments on the Thor chain thing. Was that, is that something that you, you keep your eye on? Uh, you know, uh, you, you summed up pretty much what I know about it. Um, you know, there's other projects that, that seem to be talked about, you know, maybe particle. I don't know if you remember those guys cause yeah. they, yeah, they, they implemented, uh, ring CT and on the, on their own. Um, they got it wrong, of course, but, uh, <laughs> the, so there, there are other people doing, you know, d- distributed markets or distributed exchanges, uh, uh, as someone commented on StreamYard comment stream, you know, uh, since we already have at least two different implementations of atomic swap for Bitcoin and we have atomic swap for Ethereum coming online, you know, I, I'm not sure that a decentralized marketplace is really needed, right? You know, unless it's simply like a, a bulletin board where buyers and sellers can find each other and then atomic swap with each other. You know, aside from that, I don't know what else you really need. Do you think atomic swaps will, will be, you know, uh, user get to the point where it's user friendly enough to, to act as a, you know, decentralized way to seamlessly swap between coins or is it only going to be for, you know, people that are uh, w- willing to, to put up with the technological aspects of it, or does, does it get to the point where it's as seamless as, you know, using something like a, you know, a Thor chain? I, I'm sure that, the you know, the code will improve and uh, the user experience will smooth out. Yeah, I, I don't see any reason why that, that won't happen. Awesome. I think at this point, since everybody seemed to ask all their questions on spaces, uh, we'll move over there and see if anybody wants to close out and bring up any other topics, anything we spoke about in the news. Howard, uh, anything you want to leave us with? Any, any remaining comments? Um, any wisdom and re- remaining wisdom that you're willing <laughs> to share with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, um, there was some question again about, you know, has Monero failed because nobody built an ASIC for it, right? I think Peter Todd tried to, to get at this, that's saying because the, mm. uh, the market cap wasn't high enough or the mining reward isn't high enough, there, there hasn't been incentive for, um, ASIC makers to even try. And I, I that's, that's a question that's worth considering, you know. Um, if you look at the price chart, actually, you know, Monero's price has gone high enough or was as high as it was in 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. when it clearly was viable to build an ASIC then. You know, the incentive definitely was there. Uh, the prices have reached those levels again and nobody is doing it. So I, th- I think we're in good shape, but you know, that is a question that I don't have a definite answer to right now. So 
Yeah, and it's it's a strange argument to make because, like you said, I mean, we 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 saw it happen in the past where Monero was at the same, I guess, uh, an even smaller market cap number at the time, and ASICs were were developed. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and so we're we're not seeing them as far as we can tell now. So that doesn't seem doesn't seem to be an issue of market cap. It could be just an issue of that they're not incentivized to do so because uh they realize they're they're going up against um these uh these you know CPU providers that have all these economies of scale and resources, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Howard, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate you uh, putting up with us uh, and, all, and all our antics over here. Always a pleasure to speak with you and see what you're tweeting out there on Twitterland. Uh, the Monero community uh, greatly appreciates everything you've done and continue to do. Hey, well, thanks for having me on. It's been interesting. Thanks for the questions you guys. <laughs> It's been an interesting experience. We pulled it off. We figured it out. This was our first time, so thank you for your patience. We'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're we're going to move over to Spaces. Howard, thank you so much. Thank you so much. If there's anything we could do to get you over to Mexico City, you know, we're we're more than willing to to make that happen. so I'll continue to pest, slightly pester you on that. <laughs> some, some miracle happens. All um, right. Thanks again, man. Thanks, Howard. Yeah. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, we're, we're back over here. We can, anybody else just want to jump in and have some, uh, some casual chat here? I will, your, anybody that's up on stage already, chill. Gonna add you as a speaker. Anybody else want to jump up? Tony, if you're out there. You guys are welcome to speak. You shouldn't be, uh, you should be able to unmute yourselves, I believe. Jill Manegra. Tony had a leaf. Oh, hold on. We got somebody here. Format. Format, what's going on? Hey, gang. Uh, thanks for the invite. Uh, I was wondering if you guys could speak a little bit on, uh, okay, so like in the, in the light of potential, uh, regulations coming that are making privacy a lot more difficult for everyone. Is there, um, could you name some places that you think are, for the foreseeable future, safe havens for privacy developers and, you know, privacy coin users to reside while we wait out the storm and are able to continue safely developing privacy technology? Oof. And with B1, they Go have... Ahead. Yeah, Iceland, Iceland has anonymity laws. It's actually legal for you to, um, be completely anonymous. So that would be one place. But honestly, I, I don't think that privacy will be banned in any way because governments do need privacy. I mean, it's a matter of national security. And, you know, it's, it, it would be really, weird from a legal perspective for them to 
ban it just for the people, but not for <laughs> government. I hear you. Yeah, it's just in, in light of the uh, tornado cash saga and all of that. You know, sometimes it's just nice to nice to have a place where you know uh, the government is a little bit more on your side than say a lot of the uh, European countries um, and than what the European countries are doing right now. So uh, yeah, I'm just kind of generally looking for you know suggestions from everyone I interact with. You know, like what where is it? Where is it the safest? So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely put Iceland on that list. Um, do you guys have any other suggestions? You, any jurisdictions that are a little bit more favorable to privacy and stuff like that? Anybody out there with any thoughts on this? I mean, obviously, I, I'd, I'd like to say the United States. Uh, I'd like to believe that the United States will continue to 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 maintain some of the, the basic uh rights that they claim to to provide us um and i like to believe that we have a system in place that would where it would be difficult for the us to uh take an action like ban uh, a technology like monero or some other crypto uh but we we saw what they did with sanctioning tornado cash so uh who knows and who knows if you know if that was uh, i mean obviously it was an overreach but if that's something that becomes the norm and they try to even take another step forward or if now they'll you know kind of retreat back uh so i would like to say and hope uh some place like the united states maintains a place where people can can work on these technologies but uh unfortunately uh i can't predict the political future you know, I was, uh, see, the situation I'm in, um, I'm in Canada and, you know, the way things are, uh, going here, I just, uh, I, I feel like I, I want to go somewhere where it's a little bit, um, a little bit more free in the foreseeable future. And, uh, I was thinking, you know, that there are some, uh, some places in Texas are fairly crypto, uh, favorable. Um, as far as the United States is concerned, like if you if you had to bet, you know, what, what, which states are in the next, say, five, ten, twenty years are going to be more favorable to crypto and privacy? Um, which states would you say are the top states for that? Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming has privacy laws and it has the best pro crypto laws, and it's the most mature state from a political perspective because all their parties are on the same page when it comes to crypto. They all pro crypto, pro freedom. So um I think Wyoming is definitely the the Delaware of crypto right now. <laughs> okay, that's excellent information. I really appreciate that. Yeah, if anyone uh if anyone has any more thoughts on it, I I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I'd have to say to put New York at the bottom of your list, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, obviously, yeah, Wyoming, yeah, that's great, great, great point, show. That would probably be the top. Uh, and then, you know, Florida and Texas, uh, for currently, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're becoming more right leaning states and the political right seems to currently be more aligned with allowing, uh, you know, for, for open development of, of free speech technologies. Although, you know, that, that can change with the wind as well. Yeah. 
Okay, so Texas, Florida, Wyoming, uh, sounds pretty good. And if that all goes to hell, Iceland so far. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, and, and then obviously, uh, you know, uh, so, so, so you're a developer? Are you, you're... I, I don't, I, I've never touched code in my life, uh, but I work with people in the space. And so I would, you know, when I, when I'm going to have, when I'm going to be working with companies and having people, uh, coalesce in, uh, in, in some physical space together, uh, I would like to be able to, you know, uh, just, just have safety for myself and my team and, you know, not, not worry about running into, uh, tornado cash situations. Yeah. It's, it's scary stuff, you know, and it, it has, it's certainly has its chilling effect, right? It has people like you that are on the fence trying to figure out, you know, what to do, where mm-hmm. they can go. It's, it's really scary the, uh, to see the, the chilling effect in action. For sure. For sure. Uh, but you know, ultimately, ultimately the, the idea is to, to build unstoppable tech in a way where, where it can't be stopped and where permission doesn't need to be asked for. And you know, if it's, it, and if, and if it's done in a way where you're protecting your identity, obviously easier said than done, uh, then the idea is that these things can, can be built out anywhere. But obviously there's, there's a lot of risk involved with that, especially when you're dealing with state actors. Any anybody else want to jump up and join in the chat? How can we get Howard to Monerotopia, dog? <laughs> He's uh he was reluctant to come mostly because he says he he feels like he doesn't have <clears throat> much to report or contribute at this point. Uh, you know he. Random X is a success, and he's kind of waiting to to kind of work on the, the next thing. Oh, I th- I think that's not true. I think he has a lot to contribute. It would be great to have him, you know, on a panel with Justin and the rest of the devs. Hello. Yeah, I can hear. You. Hi. <laughs> Having some technical difficulties. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, I had some kind of, um, random commentary on the, the question of whether, whether or not Elon Musk can build a, a new cell phone. Um, I think the answer to that is pretty much no. At least it's not going to be as good as graphing OS on a Google Pixel, uh, six or seven. Um, the problem is that to make these high-end devices, like you can do it. For example, Purism is a company making, um, an open source cell phone from scratch, but, this stuff is, is really hard to do. Like, uh, in terms of, for example, the silicon that you have to source, uh, there's only a few, there's only a few world-class um, fabrication facilities, semiconductor plants that produce these things um, at the kind of scales that you need for it to be like a truly phenomenal device. Um, so, Musk is going to have the problem that he, um, you know, with the whole Twitter thing. He kind of made a, a really huge contract and then tried to go back on it. So it requires loads and loads of contracts uh, and partnerships and, and all kinds of stuff that he might have problems doing that now uh, going forward into the future since he tried to bail on the Twitter deal. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm really – I am very happy that Musk bought Twitter because um, that, that does give us a significantly better opportunity um, to have some free speech. And as much criticism as I have to say from us, that's actually one thing that um, that I really am happy with, uh, 
that sale did go through. So, um, but just overall, when it comes to making a cell phone, your best bet is to install Graphene OS on a Pixel 6 or 7. You're going to have a really hard time. Like, you could throw billions of dollars at this and a decade, and probably must, still wouldn't be able to produce a phone as good as uh, an Apple or um, or a Pixel. And, it, and again, the freedom that you get with Graphene OS, um, right, the uh, open source, privacy-respecting, sandbox kind of stuff, um, that's going to be really, really hard to duplicate. You, you could say that I'm, I'm kind of skeptical. I, I don't think he'll be able to do that. It's just this stuff is so complex, it's just unlikely that that's going to happen. It is pretty interesting, though. I mean, uh, I, I don't know the tech well enough, but uh, is, isn't the – the, the you know the Tesla cars themselves I mean aren't they kind of just, you know large cell phones driving around? Um, kind of, but not not exactly. Um, they have a lot of space. Like for example, in the Tesla car, you can have a tablet there. Um, I don't know. I don't think they're producing their own tablets. I'm pretty sure that's like I'm sure there's like some kind of deal where they have a company that's producing for them that they have specialized software that goes in there. I'm sure there's all kinds of partnerships, but. Um, it's a whole different ballgame when you want to make a new cell phone. Like, so for example, they've got to choose, um, a chip design and instruction set. They have to, they have to find a fab that will produce it for them. And, um, the other problem that you run into is that there are very few engineers that are top level enough, um, to bring these kinds of devices to maturity. The ones that do exist, they're already working, um, at very high pay somewhere in their, in their niche, um, or they're already retired or they've moved on to, um, financial markets um, <laughs> because that's really where the big money is to be made. Um, so it's the problem is there's kind of there's not a shortage of engineers in the sense that like, you know, we don't have enough to go around at the moment. But it's like if you wanted to produce a new mass, a new mass produced cell phone like this, um, it's just that that's that's going to be really hard for so many reasons. Um, and, and no, the, the Tesla, the Tesla vehicles aren't really I wouldn't put them at the same class of of these mobile devices. Um, and just so that you have a little bit of background, I actually worked at um, Samsung Austin Semiconductor. It's a um, uh, fabrication facility. There's really there's really only a handful of these facilities in the world that can produce these chips. So I do have a little bit of experience um, as a semiconductor process engineer. Oh, wow. How about the fact that yeah, uh, Starlink is also kind of an interesting tie-in here, right? So if you were to go in 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 that direction uh how do you see that playing into it the fact that you would also have this starlink utility to be able to to link up the phones with that would be pretty cool um right now i don't think starlink is profitable for him at all which is kind of why he was asking the u.s government the pentagon for you know to give him some more money um i just at least one of the videos that i saw on this made it seem like the price points don't really make a whole lot of sense for starlink uh, but we don't like we don't see any of SpaceX's books because they're a private company. You know they're not publicly traded, so they don't have to um, they don't have to do the kind of reporting that a normal public company would have. But hypothetically, I mean that that sounds phenomenal. Like that sounds like that would be really cool. Um, and who knows? Maybe if you give him a decade and he can get billions of dollars, he could probably like you can definitely put a cell phone out there. It's not that you can't do that. There's already companies with way less funding um, and reach and popularity that are doing that. Um, it's just a matter of can you do it at a cost that rivals your competitors uh, along a timeline that's reasonable uh, and to produce a product, you know, that's comparable to what they're producing. Um, so that's that's a very long road. I'd say it's at least a decade if he was going to maybe be able to do that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like if, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we were saying, would it be possible for a, a new car provider to come, come out of nowhere and create a, uh, you know, uh, an electric car that can rival with all the, you know, uh, big guys in the space? Yeah, um, I mean, that was definitely not, not an easy thing. And they've been, um, they haven't been profitable until very recently. Like, they had turned a few quarters of profit here and there. Um, but I think it's only been as of the last year, maybe two, that they've actually turned uh, profitable quarters on Tesla. So, I mean, it's doable. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely not that it can't be done. Um, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not as easy as people might think that it would be. But I mean, for me, you know, Graphene OS, like it's, that's, it's such a good solution. Like anyone can install this. You can install it in like 20 or 30 minutes. You don't need to be technical at all. They've just made the entire thing seamless. You just plug your phone in, go to a website, do a couple things and, and you've got Graphene. You've got Google Maps. You've got all your Google stuff that you, that you would normally need. So you can access your bank account, stuff like that. Um, but everything is sandboxed. So it's like incredibly hardened, very well tested. Um, it's just like, that's the top of the game when it comes to cell phone security and freedom. One thing I wish Graphene would do is um, start to to support other devices too, because I know, like in the U.S., it's not hard to get your hands on a, a Pixel phone. But my sister, for example, in the U.K., said she can't even find one. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if that changed in the meantime, but um, I do think that the Oculus heal up. Graphene and Calyx OS is that they solely focus on pixel devices. And I wish they supported other devices as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Google Pixel is a great phone, probably one of the best out there. But, um, yeah, that does limit their reach for sure. It would be nice to see some other devices. How usable is Graphene for you on a daily basis? I mean, what, what are the issues with it compared to uh, the traditional uh, phone systems? Honestly, um, for me, it's seamless. I, it, a year ago, I couldn't have said that, but the way that they did the sandbox Google Play, it's totally seamless. Um, especially if you have like a new Pixel, like I got a new Pixel 6 Pro, and it's literally the best phone that I've ever used um, with Graphene OS. So there was just, um, yeah, it's just, just like hardly anything to complain about. It, it can be just slightly slower sometimes because they, um, when you spawn new processes, um, they, uh, I don't know, something with their hardened memory allocator. Uh, I think they like they spawn an entirely new process from scratch, something like that, as opposed to uh, as opposed to what you might see on other phones. Um, like Calyx has uh, some kind of optimizations that makes it run faster, but it's technically not quite as secure. And how how much privacy would you say you're you're really gaining from using it at the end of the day? A lot. Um, so they have Google Play, but it's sandboxed. So, for example, you would be shocked when you install applications on Graphene, and then you go check out the permissions that they have there that are all enabled by default, and you're like, dude, why do these people need all of these, um, you know, why do they need all of these uh, sensors and and all this data that they're just, like, plugged straight into your phone? And then you've also got the Google Play Store on a regular Android. The whole thing is just, like, spidered into your entire phone. So... They're collecting all this data on you, which with graphene, it's just a couple clicks and you can pretty much cut that data off. Yeah. And they steal your, your, uh, other stuff too. So for example, if you have an Uber app dog, they have a copy of all your cat pictures and stuff. And I'm just like, 
don't understand why they need that sort of data. So like sometimes you have spying from one app to another. So it's awful. Like the best way with, with, uh, with graphene, you like everything you do is downloaded anonymously. And so they don't have any, they can't steal data. And if, if you're downloading something from the Aurora store, you get the, the warning that, um, you know, this comes with trackers. So at least, you know, you're making conscious decisions. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that um, you have to do for the Google Play Store is you, you have to give them your uh, Google email address um, for that to work. But you can also use something called the Aurora Store, which is kind of like an anonymous copy of, um, of the Google Play Store. But, yeah, the, the default sandboxing that graphene does between applications, like, it's really hardened down, like, everything. Just it prevents communication between these applications that, uh, that you didn't specifically allow. Or, like, for example, when I get on the Twitter spaces here, my app asks me every time um, if I want to allow it to, uh, uh, to access my microphone or access my video. And that, that happens every single time because... There's a specific setting that says ask every time or um, uh, allow it to use only when the application is running. Uh, so it's just like the defaults on graphing are really good. And I know that there was some kind of like drama with Daniel McKay, you know, or um, I don't know. I guess he, uh, he, was, he was being a bit paranoid. And um, but honestly, like I would much rather have someone <laughs> that's totally paranoid like that, um, you know, making trying to. Uh, to make a hardened system, you know, this just means he's going to be thinking about all the crazy little stuff that may or may not, um, you know, that might be important for security. And with software and stuff like this, it's really easy to overlook. Yeah, I just got to get myself one and start experimenting with it. It's it's just been, you know, laziness more than anything else. And that, that, that's usually the problem with these things, right? Uh, you just go with the, the easier solution, which obviously there's always a cost to that. What do you guys think about uh, Fairphone? I know it's uh, another supported uh, beside uh, another supported phone besides uh, Google Pixel, at least on Calix OS. I'm not sure about Graphene. What do you guys do? You guys have any experience with the uh, Fairphone? No, I've never heard of it. And how about Micro G? I know Calix um, uses uh, another Google carrier type uh, infrastructure called Micro G. Um, what do you guys think about the privacy features of that? Um, some of the reading, a couple articles that I've read, it, it seems like Graphene OS is the more secure implementation um, between Graphene and Calyx. Um, maybe, uh, I guess I can't send that link out here, but um, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a number of things that they're doing in Graphene that are just kind of, it's just better, like the way that they go about it is better. Uh, I com- I'll try and send com- that article out. I completely agree. I was just thinking of, about maybe like from an onboarding perspective or as a first privacy type phone, maybe something that's uh, more along the lines of like, I, I, I use Graphene OS as well. And I know I have some hard times with certain services that, um, you know, like Google carrier services are required and that I can't really use it the way um, an, a normal Android would, uh, would handle those, those services. So just from that perspective, something with micro G, would be a better first step. And then, of course... How long ago went, was that? Was that recent, or was that maybe like a year ago? Yeah, exactly. Exactly like a year ago. Uh, okay, so I started with graphene about maybe 15, 16 months ago. 
and um, I did it on a Pixel 4a. So the combination of my cell phone not being that, um, I don't know, capable, right? It's not like a, a really high-power device. And with uh, the fact that Graphene hadn't like fully seamlessly integrated sandboxed Google Play, um, I did have issues with Graphene, but that was like 15 months ago. But ever since I got my new Pixel, Pixel 6, um, and ever since Graphene created the sandbox Google Play, it really is like it's totally seamless. I'm not, it's not shill. I'm not like overhyping that. It's, there might be like just a couple pieces that are, you know, okay, you might have a little bit of difficulty with, but it's uh, honestly, it's almost entirely seamless. So I would definitely recommend, especially if you have like a, a Pixel 5 or 6, um, to give Graphene another try. That's a great information. Thank you because I'm exactly in those shoes. I have the 4A and I like 15 months ago, like 12 months ago, I was on graphene and now I'm on Calyx, but without the graph, like the micro G. So, but I was thinking just from on, an onboarding, like as a first recommendation for somebody who's trying to take the first steps, you know, that, that's, uh, but then if they have the five or the six of the Google Pixel, for sure they can, they can use it now. Yeah, I would definitely like as a first step, the, the first thing I would definitely say, um, to go with graphene, like that's, it's, it's so easy. Like you, you go to a website, you plug in your phone. They give you like three instructions on how to unlock your boot later. You just basically you reset your phone and you press a button. Um, and then they install everything. Like the website just takes care of everything. And 20 minutes later, you've got yourself a crafting phone ready to go. Awesome, man. Thank you for the info. Yeah, my pleasure. Ronan, great, great questions, man. And uh, thanks for all the help that you've been doing behind the scenes with Monerotopia. Appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. You guys are doing a, an awesome job and I'm, I'm happy if I can help out. Awesome. Uh, buddy, you want to, you want to put in the comments? You could post the link. Uh, if you post the link. So like, what, what, where's the best resource, uh, for somebody interested in, you know, going the graphing route from scratch to get onboarded? Buddy there. I'm sorry. What was that, Doug? Uh, what, so what would be the best, you know, for some noob who's looking to start uh, and go the graphene route and start using a, a graphene-based phone, uh, what would be the best resource to start with? And if you, if you uh, want, you could, you could post it in the comments and I can pin it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just, um, I think it's grapheneos.org. Let me, I don't know. I haven't been to their website in a while, but let me plug it in here. Make sure that's right. Uh, no, I guess that's not it. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not on my computer. I don't know. You'll probably heard some, no, of, the, some of the street noise. No, no worries. No but, worries. Uh, you could you could tweet it. You could tweet it out. Uh, anybody else want to jump up and uh, throw any comments in based on what we've been talking about today? We, we spoke about a lot of things. All right. I'll, I I uh, I guess I'll, I'll take. Oh wait, we got. There's always that that last guy, Monero maximalist. Monero Maxilis, go ahead. Hey there, I just want to say thank you for what you do, Doug, and thank you so much for the price analysis, Body. Awesome stuff. Hey, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah, very much welcome, man. Eddie, uh, you coming down to Monerotopia, Maximalist? Oh, I wish. Um, I'm not able to travel down there this year, but definitely have a, have a dream of going down there and, and uh, being a part of that, for sure. Awesome. All right, guys. I think we're going to leave it, leave it here. I want to go watch the Argent, Argentina game. Um, 
everybody uh thanks for thanks for jumping on and we will see you next time saturday 11 11 a.m nyc time uh uh, these are i think getting a little smoother and smoother we apologize today howard didn't have twitter access so he wasn't able to, to join the actual spaces but I think we, I think we somehow made it work and it, it was great to have him on. Uh, he shared some, uh, some amazing, amazing insights with us. Thanks to all and, uh, we will catch you next week. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on this week's Maneratopia episode. We stream live shows every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube and Odyssey or listen to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter or join us in the Mineratopia Telegram group. See you all next week.